Welcome to the Florida Football Insiders Podcast. Thanks for finding us on all the different podcast platforms and via the College Football Coast to Coast podcast feed. We've got a great season of podcasts ahead for you. This podcast is going to focus on all things state of Florida college football, from Florida State to Florida to Miami to South Florida to UCF, FAU, FIU, and everything in between. News making, headlines, we're going to review games, we're going to preview future opponents, coaching decisions, you know, controversies, recruiting, all of the above is going to be part of this Florida Football Insiders. We've got a great opening episode for you this week. We are going to preview Florida State, Florida, Miami, South Florida, and FAU. We do not have a Central Florida preview for you this week. We will have that for you next week. But enjoy the podcast. And remember, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any comments, send us out to at Sports. JPO Sports is the Twitter handle. That's me. I'm the host, Jason Powers. We're going to be here every week with you. We're going to have great analysts. We're going to have writers from all over the state of Florida. We're going to have media members breaking down games, breaking down programs, coaching decisions, and such. So reach out to us on the Florida Football Insiders Podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. And remember, we are part of the College Football Coast to Coast podcast feed. If you want to hear podcasts about the SEC, ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12, Big 12, everything in between, College Football Coast to Coast podcast, there's going to be nine to ten podcasts fully dedicated to college football so love to have you appreciate it tell your friends tell your sports fans we're going to talk gambling we're going to talk angles and such as well so college football coast to coast is the podcast feed this podcast the college football florida football insiders first up is the florida state seminoles then the florida gators then the miami hurricanes fau and we wrap it up with the south florida bulls enjoy the podcast A look at college football news, analysis, and insight from around the Sunshine State. This is Florida Football Insiders, a part of the College Football Coast to Coast Podcast Network. And here's your host, Jason Powers. All right, welcome back to the Florida Football Insiders Podcast. This is our debut edition. Appreciate you finding us on all of your podcast platforms. And we are going to start off the podcast talking Florida State Seminoles. And we have Matt Merchel. Matt's been with the Orlando Sentinel for 18 years. He's also covered the Notre Dame Fighting Irish for numerous years as well. So he is very well versed in the college football world. And Matt uh, is the primary beat reporter, Florida State, uh, for the Orlando Sentinel. And welcome to the podcast, Matt. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Jason. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. we got a great college football season getting ready to kick off this weekend. Uh, Florida State kicks off with a uh, with Duquesne at home on uh, over the weekend. So, And they got a big one coming up with LSU in, in, in about a week and a half. So we've got lots to talk about. We're going to hit on the – we're going to break down the Florida State roster a little bit first. But before we do that, we've got a couple coaching changes. Remember, Florida State was 5-7 and seven in 2021. Four and four in the ACC. This is Coach Mike Norvell's third year in charge in Tallahassee. A couple changes on the coach staff. They lose Kenny Dillingham to Oregon to go with Dan Lanning up in, uh, up at, as the OC. What uh, tell us who the replacement at OC is for Florida State? 
well, it's Alex Atkins, you know, really Mike Norvell didn't have to, to look very far. You know, he just really kind of added the additional title of OC, you know, to Atkins, who was the offensive line coach. Uh, you know, Atkins had previously done, been an OC at his time at Charlotte, you know, so we kind of understood the idea of what's going on. I mean, let's listen, Mike Norvell's probably going to be the primary play caller in this offense. We know that the last couple of years, but I think Atkins' job really is to kind of be that voice on Norvell's shoulder, maybe to help out, throw out some ideas. Um, he's got a good understanding of the offense, obviously being in charge of the offensive line, knows what they can handle, what they can't handle. So it, it's an interesting move. I think Atkins is, is, a, is a good hire for them. I think it kind of helps make the transition very smooth, especially when you're looking for how they played last year and what they expect from this year. If you bring in a whole new offensive coordinator, I think it might have made things, the transition a little bit more difficult. But Atkins is a very confident guy. The players really love him. They really enjoyed uh, playing for him. So I think it was the right move for Novell. Any other any other significant changes on the coaching staff? Well, you know, they brought in Randy Shannon, or they promoted Randy Shannon, you know, who used to be the defensive coordinator at, at UCF last right. couple of years, uh, was previously at Miami. I think Randy's been at every, almost every school here in the state of Florida. Yeah. He was at Florida at one point. He was, a, you know, he was at Miami, obviously. So um, Randy's now the linebackers coach. I think that was a smart move from that part as well. He was a he was a, a defensive analyst last year. I think, obviously, it's an easy transition for him to come in there. They bring in a guy in Tatum Bethune, who ironically played for Randy at UCF. Um, so that kind of helped maybe, I guess, in the process of, of helped them landing a transfer player. Um, I think Tatum really liked playing for Randy. is one of the reasons why he transferred. And I think, you know, the, the linebackers all, again, another, another coaching addition that really I think the players embrace. They really like playing for him. And I think it's going to help them out in the long run. Listen, they've got a, a talented linebackers group. They've got some, some experience there as well. And Randy's got obviously a, a – you know, generational, you know, knowledge of that position, I think it's going to help them out as well. Yeah. And I think with the recruiting, recruiting as well, he's so familiar with the state of Florida. He's been all over the place. He's recruited or all around the Southeast. So that'll help them. And whether it's high schools or in the transfer portal and all that stuff. So Shannon's got a wealth of knowledge and experience, especially in the state of Florida coaching. All right, let's go to the offense. Jordan Travis seems to be the entrenched starter. No doubt about it. Talk about the issues that Florida state has had over the years has been an offensive line. The last, Seems like the last seven or eight years, a minimum offensive line issues. Have they been able to address that at all? Is that just more of a talent upgrade, scheme changes? How is Florida State looking to, to address those line issues? Well, I think the biggest thing they did is they actually made it a focus for the last couple of years. You know, I think Mike Norvell, when he arrived, realized they were woefully dis disappointing on the offensive line. They were the worst in the country. And I think one of the things he did was said, let's, let's focus on that group. And, you know, they went out to the transfer portal. They added – you know, a handful, more than a handful of players from the transfer portal to help beef up that line. Over the last couple of years, they've been recruiting really hard. They brought in, I think it was six um, freshman offensive linemen in this past recruiting class, all talented guys. I, I think this is huge for them. I think they've started to develop some depth there. They brought in a guy like Dylan Gibbons last year. He was a transfer. He's been huge for them, kind of helped solidify that line a little bit. This past season, they brought in Demetrius Emmanuel, uh, Jaston uh, Turnatine, um, bless Harris. They had a guy in, in Caden Lyles who was supposed to help them out as well. He got hurt though, was going to be out for the rest of the season. But, you know, again, this is a line that was young, you know, that has got a lot of, you know, but has added this transfer experience, which I think will help them out. I think the young guys will eventually see some of the action here as well. Julian Armelia, who's a, a really talented freshman coming in. I think he's a guy I expect to see maybe get a, a, some, some snaps at, you know, on the offensive line, whether it's the second team or, or whatever, but Again, this is a group now that's got some experience, has got has worked well together. 
um, as long as they stay healthy, and that's been a concern over the last couple of years, right. I think this offensive line will play a lot better than it has in the past. And are they are they sold on Jordan Travis as being the clear number one that it's his team? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that was the you know not that there was anything wrong with last year when Mackenzie Milton came in, and I, I think they needed Mackenzie Milton. I think Mackenzie Milton brought a calming presence in that locker room. I think he was helped to help Jordan Travis take that next step to maybe elevate himself. And so that's when Travis comes in this year. There's just so much confidence coming out of this kid now. I mean, you know, the last year I think he was a little bit hesitant at times. Now he's got the confidence. He knows he's the leader. He's the voice of the offense. I think the other quarterbacks understand that. He's had obviously an up and down type of career. He's been banged up. He was banged up a little bit last year. Now he comes in really healthy. You know, the coaching staff has said he's looked great. I think he's completed over, they said, 70% of his passes in, in, in preseason camp. Um, you know, I, I think it's his offense. And I think once you have that kind of established and that confidence and the players buy into that um, and you surround them with a better offensive line and some better weapons around him, I think that's what's going to help Jordan Travis become a better quarterback. Right, let's go to the skill players. I mean, the, the the Florida State teams of yesteryear that were dominant and were devastating always had unbelievable receivers, a good tight end, an electric running back, especially at wide receiver in the last several years. You've not seen that electric guy, that All-American kind of candidate. Does, do, do you see anybody on that roster that can develop into that? Yeah, I do. Johnny Wilson, who's, who's a, a transfer from Arizona State, 6'7", really tall guy lanky guy i've seen a couple practices you know just some some brief moments here or there and this kid can really you know he's he's got coaches excited and he can reach up and, and make the kind of catches that maybe they, they've been looking for he's explosive i mean a guy i think that they believe can really kind of be a key piece of what they're trying to do i think another uh a transfer that will stand out to keep an eye on is micah Pittman, a kid who came yes. in from oregon yes he's got a lot of talent on that he's a, he can be used as a returner as well in their kick right. game I think that's a big piece that they've been lacking, you know, over the last couple of years. So I think Micah Pittman is going to be a guy. I think obviously you're going to see Johnny um, and, and, and Ja'Kai Douglas, who we saw a little bit of last year, make some big plays here and there. He's the kind of guy they use in the backfield sometimes. They bring him out a lot of times on slot. I expect Ja'Kai Douglas to get to get some some big uh, looks as well. So this is the first time since Mike Norvell's taken over. They've got a pretty talented uh, group of receivers. It's just where the, these which of these guys is going to step up and start making the plays. They need they need these guys to come in there and, and start being regular contributors. Deuce Span is another transfer they brought in who's making this the transition from quarterback to receiver. They really like what he did. I saw him a couple times. He looks good as well. They need those guys to step up because really they can't put the the onus of the offense on on Jordan Travis's shoulder. They got to have other guys right. step up. Yeah. All right. You listen to the Florida Football Insiders. We're with Matt Marshall from the Orlando Sentinel. We're previewing Florida State. Uh, we're hitting. Uh, we just reviewed the offense. Let's go to the deep. Let's go to the let's go to special teams before we go to defense. Talk about the kicking game a little bit. I'm a I'm a former kicker. You I, we, you and I didn't talk about this, but I actually played at Florida State way back in the day as a place kicker. So. Special teams are important to me. Talk about the special teams, punter, kicker well, situation. Yeah, I think they're pretty solid in this spot. You know, I mean, that's one of the things that they have to look forward to. You know, Ryan Fitzgerald uh, comes back. You know, obviously, they, they, they're they looking to, to get solid performance out of him. Um, uh, Alex Mastromato, you know, comes back as, as punter, you know, again, Australian punter. He's one of all those Australian punters. You know, they're kind of crazy guys. He's got you know, platinum blonde hair now. I think he dyed his hair over the over the, the camp. He looks like a guy who can really kind of make some plays. I think the kicking wise, I think they look they look better. They look solid. You know, to me, what as I mentioned before, it's going to be that return game. They need to they need to have some explosive return guys. I mean, you know, if they can have a guy who can bust out 
the occasional, you know, you know, 50, 60 yard, you know, return. I think that only helps this offense along. I think, you know, and, and I think that's something that Mike Novarell addressed early on in camp is that they've got to find these kind of playmakers and, you know, and, and, and they understand that special teams are going to be a key component yes. of this team needs to do because they're going to be chant times when they're not going to be able to score, you know, right. maybe get in the end zone. They got to get field goals. They got to get points. They can't waste opportunities. Yes. So I think that's where the kicking game is really going to be a, a crucial element for them as well. And they understand that. I think Mike Norvell's not, not just throwing that aside. I think he realizes they have to be really kind of on point. All right, let's go to the defense. You, you mentioned the linebacking core. That seems like that's the strength. Talk about the linebacking core and, and how that, how important that's going to be to the, to the, to the defensive line and secondary. Yeah, I think that's going to be a, a big part of it. You know, listen, especially when you think about Jermaine Johnson, right? And, you know, uh, is, is gone. You know, so they lose that kind of, you know, kind of dominant pass rusher. I think that middle of the defense is going to be key for them. Mentioned Tatum Bethune coming in. I think he's a spark plug. He's a guy I've, I've covered at times when he was at UCF. He's really kind of a he's a quiet, unassuming guy, but everyone talks about how his leadership in the locker room has been great. He's a guy I think could really step up and be a big piece of what they're trying to do. Amari Gaynor's been had a, had a strong camp. Um, they like what he's done last year. You know, Kalen Deloach is, is coming back. They feel like he's a guy that can can continue to make plays as a starter. Um, you know, DJ Lundy was there. I think a guy that's going to be interesting and, and fans should keep an eye on this year is uh, Omar Graham Jr. You know, he's a guy that uh, brought in as a, as a freshman. He's uh, someone that the coaches have talked a lot about, said he's he's really kind of excelled. Uh, see maybe some opportunities to get him on the field. It's tough because there's only there's, they've got so many players in that spot. You know, you got to get these guys in. But I, I think you'll see a little bit more of him. I like the linebacker group. This is probably one of the better linebacker groups they've had in a couple of years. And I think as long as they stay healthy, you know, I think there's opportunities for them to stand out. Secondary wise, obviously the game is evolved in such a passing game and you got to have probably four to five really good corners or at least serviceable corners and safeties. Do you, do you think there's enough depth there? Are they young? Give us an overview of the, of the secondary. Yeah, I, I think they're young. This is one of the positions I'd be a little bit concerned about going into this year. I mean, listen, Jamie Robinson obviously is a talented player. He's a talented safety, the All America, uh, the All ACC player. Uh, got you know votes for that. Um, I think he's going to be obviously the, the captain of the secondary. He's a guy that's really going to step up. But they've got some guys that need to could also kind of can be big playmakers, but need to step up as well. Um, you know, uh, you know, Jarkas McMillan comes in. He was a guy that they uh, you know brought in as a transfer. They expect to see a little bit more of him. Um, you know, Jerry Jones has had a good camp. I think he's another one that could step up and make some plays. What I'm really kind of interested in, there's a pair of freshmen they brought in, and I think this is going to be the group that I think people should keep an eye on. Sam McCall uh, obviously was, was one of the higher, uh, you know, uh, signees they got from this past class. And, and Azaria Thomas, both those two guys are really outstanding. They've had good camps. Um, I think they're both opportunities to maybe make their way onto the, into the starting lineup at some point. Um, and they're guys that are big playmakers. These are the kind of players that Florida State is used to getting in the past. They have gotten over the last couple of years. So as long as they continue to get these guys and can showcase what they can do, I think it's only going to help them out in, in the long run. All right, let's go to the schedule. Uh, you got an interesting start. You got Duquesne this weekend, but the big one is LSU September 4th in New Orleans. It's it's a de facto road game. Uh, you, you got Brian Kelly's first game as head coach at LSU. Will be a tough environment, obviously, in, in New Orleans. It'll be a very pro LSU crowd. Um, a winnable game, but probably there'll be an underdog, but it's a winnable game potentially. You got then you go to Louisville on the 16th after a bye week. 
couple games you got to win, in my opinion. You got to beat Boston College. The, the the issue with Florida State the last couple of years are the games you have to win, the 50-50 kind of games. They've been losing most of them. So for, for this schedule to be turn out to be a good a good record, you got to win some of these 50-50 games, and you got to win the games you're supposed to win. You should beat Boston College at home. You can't lose that game. October 1, you get Wake Forest. You may or may not have to see Sam Hartman. So that could be, potentially be a winnable game, depending on what the situation with Sam Hartman is. Big games back to back. You got NC State, Clemson back to back in October. Probably not going to win. You know, again, maybe the NC State game, maybe, but probably not going to beat Clemson. Um, Georgia Tech the following the late 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 October. Then you got Miami November fifth, uh, Syracuse November twelfth, Louisiana the nineteenth. Where in this schedule do you see again back to the winnable games? You got to win the games you're supposed to win, especially at home. So Florida State's not been a great home team the last several years either. Do you see an opportunity for them to, again, you got Clemson, NC State, Miami, and Florida, kind of the four big ones after LSU. Where do you see, how do you see the schedule laying out? Well, I think for them, what's going to be important is is that early part of the schedule. I think you mentioned Louisville, Boston College, you know, even Wake Forest. You know, I think those are games that really, they they have to really take advantage of that. They have to find a way to win those games because it is going to be a brutal start to October. You know, Wake is... If Sam Hartman's back, Wake could be a different team. I mean, right. you know, obviously him not being around changes the complexity of how that team looks. Um, I think at NC State's a tough game for them. Listen, it's NC State's probably going to be one of the, the favorites in, in, in the ACC outside of Clemson. So you got to find a way to win on the road there as well. They haven't really done a, a great job doing that. Um, and then you mentioned Clemson comes to town. And if Clemson's looks like the Clemson of the past, if they return like look like, it's going to be it's going to be a tough game for them to try to find a way to win it. Then you get Georgia Tech, which I think, you know, again, you can you can hopefully get a win out of that. And then that road game at Miami, which we know is going to be a right. tough game because of the, what's going on with Mario Cristobal coming in. Obviously, Miami fans are in Miami is all too familiar what happened last year. So they want to make that, that come out with a win. So if somehow they come out, if, if Florida State can beat Miami, I mean, there's a stretch there where you could you could win maybe four straight games going into yes. that Florida game. And yes. that would be a, a huge help for them, you know, going into that Florida game. And we don't know how Florida is going to be. Listen, I've. I, I have a little bit seen what they've done. I mean, this is an opp- a Florida team that they could be, you know, they have an opportunity to maybe win eight games or they could be five and seven, depending on how things go, because it's going to have difficulty to schedule there. So I think there's opportunities for Florida State late in the schedule, um, you know, but I also think early on, I think that that Louisville, that, you know, Louisville, Boston College, Wake Forest, as you mentioned, I think yes. that's a stretch right there where you get some games there, maybe you're four and one, you yeah. know, going into the heart, heart of your schedule, yeah. then maybe that kind of helps you build a little momentum. The thing that hurt them last year, that 0-4 start, it really kind of and it set everything spiraling. And they were able to bounce back and win five, you know, to win the, you know five games. But it really could have been, you know, if they'd start a little bit better. I mean, I think that momentum and that confidence would have carried them a little bit for better opportunities. This is still a team I think can can get to be a, a bowl eligible team, maybe get to eight wins. Again, it's just going to have to depend on, on if they can stay healthy and they can they can surprise some teams. Listen, LSU's a game they're going to be an underdog as you mentioned. But I still think, you know, again, they're already going to have a game under their belt. If yes. they're healthy going into that game, yes. they could surprise the Tigers because they're going to get some of the kinks out early on that, you know, LSU is not going to be able to get done. And Florida State will bring some fans in. That's not a bad, yeah. not a bad, not a terrible drive. So there'll be some Florida State people there for sure. Um, obviously, you got the hype with the first game with Brian Kelly in New Orleans, but um, it's it again. There'll be an underdog, but it's a, it's not a it's not a landslide underdog. There'll be a probably four or five point underdog. It's a winnable game for sure. Yeah. Very much. And, and as you mentioned, the Florida State fans will be there. They've already sold out their allotment of tickets. I spoke to the uh, Sugar Bowl people. They said, listen, they expect it to be close to a sellout, if not a sellout. 
It's going to be a great crowd. And, and if you're Florida State and Mike Norvell, you haven't had these type of games under yeah. you. You need this type of, of atmosphere to show these kids this is the kind of games that Florida State's used to playing. Absolutely. It's, it's Sunday night, a Labor Day weekend. It'll be a national TV game, so there'll be a lot of hype and a lot of, uh, a lot of eyes on the screen. Talk about the fan base. Is the fan base getting antsy with Norvell? What, what is the sentiment about the fan base and just the apathy of the program kind of thing moving into year three? Yeah, I, I think it's it's a mixed bag right now with the fan base. I think there's some who want to see. Obviously, they they believe they that Florida State should be back to where it was. You know, back when you were contending for national championships. Um, they're looking at the recruiting classes. They're not, you know, as like Florida State used to have right. back in the day. Um, I think it's a lot more difficult recruiting wise for, for Mike Norvell. Listen, you got Billy Napier now. You got Mario Cristobal. Yes. You've got you know you've got Gus Malzahn even at UCF who's really kind of done a great job of, of recruiting. It's not like it used to be where you just grab these kids. I think winning will help some of that. And that's where if you beat an LSU on the road, you know, in New Orleans, I think that could help you recruiting, you know, right now they've got a, I think it's a top 20 class. Um, if they can have some success this year, that class is going to get better. So recruiting is going to help them out a little bit. Um, winning is going to help ease some of the fan base as well. If they can get to seven or eight wins, I think right. fan, FSU fans will feel a little bit better. Now, if they get something happens, like I mean, they, they finish six and six or they go five and seven again, I'm not sure how long Mike Norvell will have. I mean, I think fans will start to turn on that a little bit. Right. It's an important time in college athletics with NIL and everything like that going on. And if you, you know, you've got fans now are thinking, why am I going to give money to, to get these kind of players? If I've got a coach that I don't believe in, right. it's, it's going to be difficult for them. But as I, as I've said, you know, if you keep, this is what's hurt Florida state in the last couple of years is if you keep making coaching changes, you're only going to put the program back farther and farther. I mean, I, I know people love the idea of Deion Sanders someday coming in and coaching. But <laughs> I mean, if you keep if you keep making these changes, I mean, it's just, I'm, just, I'm not it's it's, just, it's hard to build some stability. Right. I think yeah. opening up their new practice facility or their new football operations building, you know, in December when they're going to start up, I think that's going to help things along as well. So they're there. It's just the, the fan base just isn't sure exactly what to expect out of this program. Yeah, it's. Uh... You're, yeah, you. If, if they struggle, you will hear a lot of Deion Sanders chatter here early in the season if they struggle early, for sure. But, uh, all right, Matt, well, I appreciate the great insight. Tell everybody where they can find you online and find your work. Yeah, they can go to OrlandoSentinel.com to, to find the latest, or they can follow me on Twitter at OSMattRochelle. Great job, Matt. Like I said, we'll be back in touch with you as, as the season moves forward. Tallahassee, we need to get Tallahassee back to, on the map of the of the national uh, – the national uh, – chatter amongst things because again it's interesting year in state of florida with as much coaching turnover with cristobal and napier going to florida and miami obviously a big transitional year here for norvell so uh there'll be lots of storylines to talk about here within the state of florida and that's what we're here to do on the florida football insiders and matt appreciate your help and we'll definitely be reaching out to you as we move through the season all right thank you take care have a great week matt and we will be right back are you ready to profit this college football and nfl season do you need picks to make with your sports gambling outlet? Reach out to 813-542-7559. Picks to Profits offer a flat monthly fee of $100. You will get at least six picks every week for $100 a month. One flat fee, no excuses, no extra fees involved. Picks will be emailed and texted to you on game day, whether it's a Thursday night, Saturday, Sunday, or even Monday night. Those picks will be texted straight to your device via text message and email. Let us do the work while you profit. Picks to profit. 813-542-7559. 813-542-7559. 
813-542-7559. Now a word from Titan Home Lending. Are you in the market for a new home as a first-time home buyer? Do you want to upsize your current living situation or maybe even downsize? The kids are gone. You want to downsize to a condo, townhouse, or a smaller home? Reach out to me at Titan Home Lending. You need an FHA loan, a VA loan, a conventional loan, a jumbo loan, even a bank statement loan for you self-employed business owners out there. Reach out, Titan Home Lending. Anywhere in the state of Florida, I can help you. From Key West to Pensacola to Orlando and everywhere in between, whether it's a primary residence, a secondary home, or even an investment property, I can help you get financed and get approved. So reach out to Jason Powers, Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. Okay, next up is the Florida Gators. We've just talked about the Florida State Seminoles. And now we're moving down south just a little bit down to Gainesville, Florida. We've got a new regime in Gainesville. Billy Napier taking over for Dan Mullen. And no better person to talk Florida Gators than Kevin Brockway from the Gainesville Sun. Kevin's been covering the Gators for many, many years. Had a little hiatus, went up and covered my Indiana Hoosiers uh, up up in the Midwest. And now he's back covering the Florida Gators for the Gainesville Sun again. So welcome to the podcast. Kevin Brockway. Yes, it's uh, great to be back, uh, and I'm sure it'll feel better in the winter when uh, you know my uh, friends up in Indiana are freezing, and I'm down here uh, right. enjoying a, a pina colada and a nice uh, 70 degree day. You know, that's right. You go from one great college town to another. <laughs> so Bloomington and Gainesville, two great college towns. So um, before we, uh, so the Florida Florida ends 2021 at six and seven, two and six in the SEC. Uh, obviously, they fired Dan Mullen uh, and bring in Billy Napier from Louisiana. For those of you that don't know, Billy Napier had a uh, nice run at Louisiana, 40-12 and 12 at Louisiana. Is a Nick Saban disciple, coached under Saban a little bit back before he got the Louisiana job. Uh, comes, to, comes to Gainesville. First, let's talk, let's talk Billy Napier before we get into the roster and all that stuff. What is the fan base's kind of reaction to Napier? Um, you know, a young guy, pretty young guy. He's in his early 40s. Mullins kind of tenure kind of ended a little conspicuously there at the end. What is the what is the sentiment from Gainesville about Billy Napier? Well, I think what they first like about Billy Napier is he's bringing discipline and accountability to the program. Uh, and that was sorely lacking under Dan Mullen. Uh, you saw it on the field, obviously, beginning with Marco Wilson, which was the shoe throwing incident, which which really was kind of the beginning of the end, I think, of the Dan Mullen era, um, you know, from from that point uh, going forward um, with with with. with Billy Napier, I think you're going to see a guy uh, that's not going to put up with any nonsense, that wants his players to live the right way off the field and to be more disciplined on the field. Uh, He does a penalty chart after every practice uh, where they go over things and they kind of methodically, I wouldn't necessarily dress down, but really address penalties. Uh, That's been a big emphasis on camp. Uh, If you look at uh, Florida historically in the last 10 years, um, they've been first or second in the SEC in penalty yardage in about seven of them. So that's been a huge point of emphasis, discipline, um, taking care of the football. And uh, I think that uh, that plays well to this fan base because this fan base uh, does not just want their team to do well. They want to do well and they want to do it the right way. Any concerns by the fans about Billy about Napier making the big jump from Louisiana to Florida? Usually guys go from a Louisiana to a, maybe a mid-level conference job and then they get a florida type of job any any concern there 
Well, you know, really other than Dan Mullen, that's been their MO is to go younger, up and coming, uh, smaller school, um, even urban, you know, urban, urban came from Utah. Uh, but people forget at that time, Utah wasn't even in the Pac-12 yet. I mean, they were kind of a, a Mountain West team. Right. Um, and, uh, they, you know, you looked at, uh, uh, you know, a guy like uh, Will Muschamp, who didn't even have any head coaching experience. Uh, then Jim McElwain from Colorado State. And then Dan Mullen came from Mississippi State, came from another SEC school. So um, I think with this, they they know that if you have the right guy, you have the right guy. And I think, Mull- I think you know, Napier's youth and his energy – uh, will play very well, uh, certainly. Um, and it's already shown, I think, on the recruiting trail. So I saw a note about his coaching staff. I think he did. I see a note that he has 60 guys, 60 people, a part of his football operations staff. That's uh, the trend right now, though. I mean, you look at Alabama and Nick Saban, yeah. and you look at all these other Georgia, uh, you know, like Will Muschamp was working behind the scenes in Georgia, right? As an analyst this year, he's on the field. Um, but it's all about, you know, all these guys trying to figure out third and seven, right? It's, uh, it's amazing that uh, you, uh, you have so many people, uh, but it's very specialized operation. But I think in this competitive uh, world in the SEC and, and throughout all power five college football, FBS college football, um, you need every advantage you can get. And I think that the schools are investing in it. And I, I don't think they would be doing it if it wasn't working. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I mean, like I said, Saban kind of Saban and Kirby Smart kind of mastered this whole, you know, CEO of a, of a Fortune 500 corporation. <laughs> and, and you hate to say it, fo- college football programs at the level of Florida are kind of like that. I mean, hey, I mean, that's what is the um, what is the NIL trend been leading in Gainesville? Has there been a lot of guys in Gainesville benefiting from that? How's how's all that trickled out? Yeah, well, they have the Gator Collective, uh, which I'm still learning a little bit more about on the beat, uh, having just restarted. But it seems like it's a pretty powerful entity, and I think they are using it to their advantage in recruiting. Uh, how much? Uh, I don't know, you know, because, uh, you know, down, down the state in Miami, they seem to be very aggressive with NIL. I wouldn't say Florida is uh, tremendously aggressive, but I wouldn't say that they're behind the times either. I would say they're probably somewhere in between, and they're using it as a tool um, I, I think the other huge recruiting tool is that Florida opened up, uh, we, we saw it uh, yesterday, the uh, $85 million Heavener Center, which is the uh, kind of akin to, uh, you know, Alabama and Clemson in terms of the standalone facility trend. And, and Florida's is really beautiful. I, I mean, they, they really did a nice job with it. And uh, it's very functional from a football standpoint as well. It's connected to the indoor practice facility. And, uh, you know, that's another tool in recruiting along with NIL. I think that uh, the Gators can use to, uh, you know, try to att- attract the top t- talent in the state and also nationally. Very good. Very all right. Let's get to let's get on the field. Let's start with the offense. From all indications, everything's going to revolve not revolve, but the centerpiece is going to be Anthony Richardson. We all want to know what Anthony Richardson is. He played, you know, a lot of hype about him last year. He only started one game of all things. He started the Georgia game, which you know he kind of got thrown into the fire there. Um, for whatever reason, Mullen didn't want to play him as a starter a whole lot. Your just your initial thoughts on Richardson and, and kind of his where he's at in his development. Yeah, I think with Anthony Richardson, I think they're trying to temper expectations. You know, uh, I think uh, you know Billy Napier had a line: "Here's a guy that's completed 33 career passes," and he said the great ones at Florida uh, quarterbacks can complete 33 passes in one game. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of tells you. Right. Uh, you know, in terms of just his inexperience, but at the same time, you know, you can't uh, discount the uh, arm talent. You can't discount 
the talent of his legs also and his ability to run. And, and that's going to be a big debate. But uh, and durability was an issue with Anthony Richardson also last year. And I think that's going to be the big debate. How much do you run him? How much do you let him be a dual threat quarterback? Jack Miller, the backup, uh, went down with a broken thumb. So he's going to be gone at least the first two weeks of the season. So you have really inexperience in, in the backup, Jalen Kitna um, and uh, Kyle Engel, who's a walk-on, or, or the other two, and Max Brown, a true freshman. So uh, there's not a lot behind Anthony Richardson. He's going to have to, you know, uh, carry the load. And uh, particularly, you know, if, if you take a look at the first two games, Utah and Kentucky, those are games where you're, you're probably going to play your starter the whole game anyway. So he's going to have to be ready. I think he, uh, I think there's a lot of, of talent. There's a lot of potential there. Um, there needs to be some maturing off the field too. And, you know, right. uh, in terms of being a leader and, and Billy Napier's address that also certainly that speeding ticket that he got in the spring, um, you know, Billy Napier wants Anthony Richardson to be an example as well. Someone that a leader of men, somebody that people can follow. So that's another important aspect too in, in his growth, not just on the field but off the field too. It's it's a little trickier for him because I, if I'm if I recall, he's a he's a Gainesville kid. He's a local kid, yeah. so that with all that pressure and all the people around and family and all that stuff puts a little more pressure, even more so uh, on his development. The one thing I've noticed, and you and you and I both know this, when Florida's been great over the years, they've had dynamic skill at, at the wide receiver position, uh, quarterback and wide receiver. Do you see that on this roster at all? I know they lost Jacob Copeland left. They brought in another kid, Pearsall. Just talk about the, the wide receiving core and the, and the elite skill. Because, again, with Florida, Florida State, Miami have been great. They've had the elite skill on the outside, of, especially offensively and at the quarterback spot. Yeah, I still think that's to be determined. And, you know, we, we've watched some practice, um, and uh, we see some flashes of some guys. One day, maybe Xavier Henderson will have a good practice. One day, Justin Shorter will show us some things. Um, but for the most part, it's, uh, you know, uh, I think kind of hit or miss. Ricky Pearsall looked really good early in practice and they got hurt. Um, I think he's probably the fastest and quickest and, and his ability to get open, I think is probably the best of the group. But uh, I think the uh, I think the issue with him is, you know, he, he got a foot injury the first week of the season. And what uh, when he comes back and they're hoping he'll be back in practice this week. But when he comes back, will he be? Uh, at 100 percent and will he be that dynamic guy that can shake loose and shake free so uh still a lot of question marks there i think and uh it, that's going to be to be determined i mean justin shorter is a guy that certainly has a lot of talent he's a five-star recruit out of high school he's a big kid um but he's not necessarily the burner downfield but he'll be very effective i think in the red zone you know on a lot of those jump balls uh, because of his size and his strength so i know one of the things napier really took advantage of is the transfer portal brought in a couple guys from louisiana with him the running back Montrell Johnson he brought. He brought a lineman or two. So talk about the running back room. Montrell, is this guy legit? I mean, he had a great freshman year at Louisiana. Is he in line to be the number one, or, or is that going to be a kind of a committee deal? Yeah, I think it's going to be a committee deal. I'm actually writing about that this week, and um, I think that, uh, yeah, but Montrell is certainly a guy I think that will be in the mix for sure. Uh, they, they've been very impressed with him. He's, he's done pretty well in practice. Um, you know, another guy, Naquan Wright, a returner who was, who was kind of emerging a little bit late last season. Uh, you know, he's got a little more experience, so you might go with him to start with Montrell. Uh, Lorenzo Lingard, another guy, a big X-factor, a guy I knew from uh, Miami, a uh, five-star that uh, just never really kind of panned out uh, down there and comes up here. He's going to get another opportunity, and, and he's got a lot of 
uh, talent and ability that's untapped, and and they're hoping to get out of him. And then Travis Etienne, the freshman, or is is a a, a really uh, a nice uh, young player whose uh, brother obviously started Clemson. Uh, so uh, I think that uh, you know he's a true freshman that could get some chances too, and that's opened some eyes. I would say one of the great things this year, no matter all throughout the roster, you're there, guys are going to get opportunities. There, yeah. There's nobody that's set, and there's not many guys that are probably set in stone that is the clear guy where on both sides of the ball, guys are going to get opportunities, freshmen, transfers, all these different guys. If if things aren't going great, they're going to get opportunities. Is that, is that what you see? That's what I see. I think it's uh, wide open because of the fact that it's a new staff, and uh, I don't think that they have any – you know, preconceived notion on these players, you know, a lot of them, a lot of the returning players, they didn't recruit. So there's right. not going to be that kind of lobbying for that. Uh, I think everyone's going to, you know, get an opportunity. Offensive line struggles. That seemed to have been an issue here for a couple of years with Mullen. Um, I know he uh, Napier's got his, his offensive line is the OC as well. So maybe that will be more of a focus. What are your thoughts on the offensive line? Yeah, that's an area where Napier really wants to develop uh, strength and size. And, and he feels like he's got a good rotation of, of eight guys. He's looking for nine to ten. Obviously, the huge addition being Osiris Torrance uh, coming from Louisiana, the transfer, that uh, without taking a snap in the SEC is already considered a first-team preseason All-SEC player. I think wow. that's interesting. Wow. Um, but that tells you the respect that he has uh, around the country and what he did at Louisiana, which he, he was one of the best offensive linemen in the country there, 6'5", 347. It's got the size. Um, so uh, I think that, uh, you know, uh, the two tackles, uh, Tarquin and Garage are guys that uh, have a little experience. Tarquin is a guy that they they really want uh, coming. And then and then Ethan White at one of the guard spots uh, is another guy uh, worth watching. So so they'll be um, they'll be OK. But uh, uh, I think that they want to develop that physical mindset. What what? What Napier wants to do is he wants to establish a run and play off that and play action. That's kind of his MO. That's his offense. And uh, they're going to run the football and they're going to try to develop a really physical offensive line to do that. And as you and I both know, to be elite, not just in the SEC, but nationally, you got to be good in the trenches. You got to have offensive linemen. You got to have defensive linemen. You have to have depth because playing in that league, you're going to lose guys to injuries for for periods of time. So you got to have, like you said, nine to 10 guys where you were at least too deep everywhere along the line. So, all right, before we get to the defense, let's talk kicking game a little bit. I'm a former, as you know, I, I'm a former kicker punter back in the, back in the day, day, long time ago. So I always, I'm always big on special teams, especially for teams that are looking that are maybe not going to be elite with special teams, hidden yardage, you know, don't miss the kicks. You're not supposed to miss things like that. Florida's field goal kicking struggled last year. They weren't great. They were okay. Not great. What is uh, is there is there a em- pretty strong emphasis on special teams with Napier? Yeah, and you know, boy, you, you look at what McPherson did with the Bengals; they right. they really missed him. They really right. missed him last year. Um, he was he was really something. Um, it just shows you the value of, of having that kicker that can, you know, make those kicks from beyond forty yards as well. You know, everyone should be automatic inside forty. I agree, but you know, when you get beyond forty, so uh, you've got Trey Smack and you've got Adam Mahalik. Uh, as, as two guys. Mahalik is a walk-on. Trey Smack is a scholarship guy. Those have been the two that have been battling out at the kicking position throughout uh, camp. Um, and uh, Trey Smack is a, rather a, yeah, Trey Smack is a guy I think that's uh, got a pretty decent leg from what we've seen in some workouts. And But, you know, Mahalik hit a couple in the spring game uh, from beyond 40 yards. So 
um, it's a good battle, and um, you know, uh, Billy Napier is still to be determined. I asked him about it, uh, I think, on Sunday, and uh, he said it could, co could come down to the first week of the season. Um, and uh, he said he could see one guy uh, doing both kickoffs and uh, field goals, or he could, uh, you know, maybe split them up a little bit. Maybe one guy has a stronger leg for kickoffs, and another guy can do can you know is is, is better in the uh, field goals. Yeah, punter they're pretty set with Jeremy Crenshaw. You know, right. he's a guy that uh, had a good year. Uh, they, they like and, and had a good year. And another one of those Australian punters is pretty amazing coming from the big 10, uh, Indiana had Hayden Whitehead and Adam Korsak. And that's the trend, right? Go to Australia, get yourself right. a punter. Uh, they have a great development program down there in terms of, uh, you know, uh, their background with Australian rules football. So these right. kids have been putting the ball since they were what, four or five years old on the run. Um, and uh, now you're seeing uh, a lot of these uh, guys uh, flourish in college football. Yeah, we got a we got a uh, Australian punter down here at USF down here in Tampa as well. A big tall kid. Who, uh, I've had the fortune to see him work out a few times as far as at their practices, and he's he's he crushes the ball when he hits the ball well. So, all right. So you're listening to the Florida Football Insiders podcast with Kevin Brockway from the Gainesville Sun. We're breaking down the Florida Gators, uh, 2022 six and seven. Billy Napier taking over. Um, let's talk defense. Um, Brendan Co Brendan Brenton Cox is probably the best defensive lineman on the roster. What else do you see is, uh, from all, all indications that he seems like he's clearly the best guy they've got? Talk about the defensive line a little bit. Yeah, and Gervon Dexter, too. I wouldn't sleep on him. I think he's a very talented guy uh, up front as well. So you've got some, you know, uh, skill there. And, and Prisley, you, you know, Morin, um, you, you know, they're trying to establish a little more depth on that area. All right, linebackers. This seems to be the kind of the most – overall quality part of the defense their leading linebacker left and went to utah is that a, is that a big blow or is that just kind of a part of the you know the the, the change of regime part of the portal but uh you know ventrell miller is is back and the key i think is keeping him healthy he's a really consistent tackler uh in the front seven he's a guy that uh, i think is going to be very important for them amari bernie is another guy that uh you know, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, a, a guy that's uh, opened some eyes a little bit is Derek Wingo. Uh, he might he might get some opportunities. Scooby John Johnson, another guy who I think is a really good cover linebacker. So, um, you know, it's interesting when you talk about the scheme, Patrick Tony, their very young defensive coordinator. Um, you know, they're going to do this uh, kind of creeper defense uh, where they're going to bring different pressures from linebackers, from defensive backs, disguise a lot of pressures. And uh, that's how they're going to really go about it. And it's going to be interesting to see if there's improvement over, you know, certainly the Todd Grantham era where the last couple of years, they really struggled. In the back end and the back, the back four, again, another area where when Florida has been really good. They've had really good corners, really good safeties. What do you see out of the, uh, the back end here in 2020? Yeah. Rash Rashad Torrance and Trey Dean, you've got some experience coming back at the safety spots. I think the big question is that the uh, corners, um, you know, certainly you've got some, uh, talent uh you know you got some battles there jalen kimber the uh transfer from uh from georgia is certainly a guy that uh has has uh certainly flashed a little bit and uh you know devin moore too is another guy who's been pretty uh you know impressive the freshman from uh, naples florida so you've got some guys there that uh i think have done a a, a pretty good job um you know and certainly uh you know uh, i think that uh jalen Mar jason marshall jr has been hurt um so that uh that certainly has uh you know uh hurt them as well 
So they're going to, in your opinion, you think they're going to be more of a, a man-to-man aggressiveness, or are they going to be more of a zone? How, what's what's kind of their theme on defense? I think it's just mixing it up. I think it's going to depend on the situation, you know. But uh, I do think that uh, what they're going to do is, that I think they're going to have to have linebackers that are going to be a little versatile because I think that you know, with this defense and you're bringing different pressures, you might have to drop a linebacker in coverage right? Uh, in order to bring a defensive back on a blitz or so right. forth. So you're going to need a lot of versatility back there. I got you. I got you. All right. This before we uh, hit a little recruiting and then we'll hit the schedule uh, recruiting wise. Obviously that's one of the big things that, you know, Napier is known for. And then one of the things that obviously led to Dan Mullins kind of dismissal was his approach to recruiting and the emphasis he put on it. Is Napier, I mean, I know from all indications, Napier is gung-ho. You know, he, he and his, obviously, a staff of 60. He's got a lot of guys doing a lot of things recruiting-wise. How active were they in the transfer portal relative to the high school recruiting scene? What is kind of their emphasis on between those two? Well, you know, the 2023 class so far has been predominantly high school, and I, I think they've done a pretty good job uh, in terms of, uh, you know, getting, uh, uh, you know, guys from within the state, uh, I think it's uh, 17 of 20 are from within the state of Florida and 18 of 20 are four stars. So the four star percentage is really good. They haven't quite got that five star yet. Carmani uh, right. McLean is still out there, right? The kid from Lakeland. Yeah. Uh, very talented guy and Miami and Alabama are in the mix for him as well. And he's a, uh, he's a, he's a guy that's going to be, uh, would be a nice kind of cherry on top to this class, but I think they've done pretty well um, in terms of, uh, establishing that they're establishing kind of the state and the region and Kelby Collins, the guy they got from uh, Alabama outside of Birmingham, Garden Hill, Alabama is the highest rated guy. He's right. 70th nationally as a four star. So um, they're, they're addressing uh, the front line, which I think is important. Now the good thing for them, again, again, we talked about this, the good thing, there's going to be plenty of opportunity. He's going to be able to sell opportunity for the next year or so till he gets this thing going and that's going to be a thing again, court, uh, elite quarterback. And, you know, we don't know what, you know, there's been projections of Anthony Richardson has a great year. He could potentially go to the NFL. Who knows? Um, and obviously with the, with the, the ease of the transfer portal that's available, there are going to be guys that, that at the end of this year, Napier doesn't whatever, for whether he doesn't want them, they don't want to stay here. There's going to be some, some attrition in that, in that front, which there'll be every year, of course, now moving forward with the transfer portal, but uh, lots of, uh, Again, he comes for that Nick Saban recruiting, continuous recruiting and all that stuff kind of deal. So I think that's gonna that's a good sign for the Gators compared to what they've had with Dan Mullen in, in previous administrations. Yeah, and I, I think he's really gung-ho about it. And uh, I think he's, like I said before, at the Heaven, Heaven or Center with, with NIL and the Gator Collective, he's got a lot to sell and he's got some momentum. He's got some people behind him. But yeah, he really cares about it and he cares about uh, – you know, getting the best players, but uh, as you know, you got to develop them too. And that's True. key. And uh, we've seen plenty of uh, five stars uh, not pan out. And we've seen plenty of uh, two or three stars pan out. I mean, right. you're from the Tampa, you're from the Tampa area. You may right. know um, when I was up in Indiana, Micah McFadden was a borderline two, three star from Tampa plant yeah, and yeah. Uh, was a fifth round pick of the New York giants and was uh, uh, an all American linebacker in Indiana in 2020. So uh, sometimes yeah, you find those hidden gems. Uh, and to me, one of the most overlooked things in college football, especially, is the coaching and development part of things. Everybody yeah. has all these numbers we put on kids that come into school, whatever school it is, whether they're a three-star, two-star, no-star, or five-star, and we all think they're finished products. That is so far from the 
from the end truth. That's what makes guys, you know, the guys like, you know, when a guy team has a great year is these coaches that can develop kids, especially the kids that maybe were two and three stars to make them really good college players. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that's, uh, there's something to be said for that. There's something to be said for the coaching, for the development, for the infrastructure of your program, which, uh, you know, uh, certainly, uh, you know, uh, bodes well. And, and, you know, uh, you know, I think one of the things that certainly, you know, you look at Alabama and Nick Saban is selling and certainly something that, you know, Miami used to be able to sell and other programs, you know, the ability to develop you to get you to the NFL, you know, right. and, and, and Florida has that to an extent also. I mean, Kyrie Elam was the first round pick of the Buffalo Bills. Sure. Uh, that's another selling point in recruiting and a huge, sell, like, what can you do? Billy Donovan in basketball was the same thing. It's like he got players to the NBA continuously. And what can you do to get me to that level? Because that's, that's the lottery ticket right nowadays, you know, even rookie contracts are worth so much money when you're a first round pick and um, so much goes, goes into that. All right, let's get to the schedule. We'll get you out of here. A a big one to, to open in Florida fields. Utah comes a call in week one, Labor Day weekend. Um, the Utes are highly ranked coming into this season. Pac-12 favorites. Um, what is the the buzz uh, with with Utah coming to town? To me, it's a it's an opportunity, big opportunity for Napier. Not that he has to win the game, but it's a big opportunity to really show, hey, we can play here. I think the weather will be a factor coming to, coming down here from for Utah for those guys. You think that do you expect a full crowd at, at Florida in, in Gainesville Week One? Yeah, they already announced the sellout, so it's sold out for single tickets. There are a couple of, uh, I think, uh, you know, like season ticket packages left, like a couple hundred. But it's going to be fall, and I yeah. think people are are very excited about, you know, having that kind this kind of opponent coming to Gainesville, um, and uh, certainly Utah coming in on a high. Seventeen starters back from that yeah. team that won won the Pac-12 and gave Ohio State all it could handle in the Rose Bowl, uh, losing that shootout game, forty nine forty five. So right. I think that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see right away uh, in the Napier area era, I think, you know, having that kind of test. I, you know, he talked about that at uh, SEC Media Day about that sense of urgency in camp. You right. know, sometimes having that really good opponent really sharpens your focus. Um, and uh, I think that uh, this, like I said, will be interesting. You know, Florida has a string of, I believe it's 31 or 32 straight home openers that they won. Uh, um, but they've never quite had a home opener uh, to this level. Uh, right. And that's probably, that's probably why uh, they have it. And, you know, sometimes I, I heard before from Gator fans and maybe even a few coaches that say that they did that because there's no real preseason in college football. Right. But uh, this is uh, something that uh, you get a test right away. You see what you're made of and, be a huge statement in the Napier area if they can pull this one out. And they got a tricky second game. You got Kentucky coming to town, SEC opener in week two, which is not an easy, you know, follow up to Utah because Utah is known to be a very physical team, all that stuff. Um, so it'll be interesting to see that little two game stretch will be interesting as far as, you know, Kentucky. Those are some games that, you know, if, you, if Florida is going to be good, they need to beat Kentucky. They need to beat some of the mid, mid level SEC teams this year. You got a, a three game stretch mid, middle of the year at Tennessee, Georgia, and at Texas A&M. So how do, what do you see in the schedule that's, you know, I'm not saying they're going to go 10-2, and two, but what, do, what games in the schedule do you think are must-win games for the Gators, especially in conference? Yeah, and then don't forget LSU, too, and Brian Kelly. I mean, right. I think he's another guy, too. Um, and LSU has great athletes, let's put it that way, and they've always got big guys on the line of scrimmage. Um, so I think that will be an interesting uh, – storyline certainly to watch uh in terms of uh 
what uh, you know that game. You know, and, and uh, you know it would be tremendous momentum wise if the Gators could get off to a good start. But with that, I think that one of the biggest questions I think on this team is depth. I've heard people say that Napier really likes his first twenty-two. But beyond that, he's a little concerned. Yeah. So I could see the possibility of Florida getting off to a good start and then stumbling a little bit in October because some injuries will mount and you'll be dealing right. with more unproven guys. Um, and certainly Georgia is going to be a you know a tall, right. tall order. Uh, LSU, I think, even though it's here, will be a tall, tall order, um, even though they're adjusting to a new coach. But Brian Kelly's a very talented guy and yeah. uh, has proven that his ability to win. So that's how I see the season kind of going. I see it as, as, you know, maybe, you know, tough in the beginning, a little bit of a lull in the middle and then finishing on a high note. You see six, you, you obviously you think bowl, you bowl eligibility, obviously six and six, seven and five kind of year. Yeah. You know, I actually predicted eight and five. I mean, I'm, maybe I'm being a little pie in the sky, a little optimistic, but uh, right. I think it's possible they could get the eight wins. Um, okay. You know, FSU is kind of struggling. Right. Um, even though the game is there. Uh, Vandy late in the season. If they stick together and you know don't quit on the season, uh, I did have a worst case of five and seven, and my best case was nine and four. But uh, if they can kind of stick together, and I, I could see them finishing the year uh, with the way the schedule lays out on a little bit of a high note with a little bit of momentum. All right, well, great work, Kevin Brockway, Gainesville Sun Telegram, where they can find your work online. Yeah, GatorSports.com, and uh, my uh, Twitter is uh, at Kevin Brockway G1. We will have Kevin on sporadically throughout the year for sure to, to keep you abreast of all the Gator news and nuts, note, notes coming out of Gainesville. Um, is Napier a nice guy? You, you like working with Napier? Has he been pretty nice to work with so far? Yeah, he's been he's been pretty good so far. I mean, we've only had him for a couple of sessions. Like I said, I jumped into the beat a little bit after SEC media days. So okay. I got here right before media day. Okay. Uh, but so far, all my interactions with him has been you know, certainly very positive, you know, wish he would give us a little more practice access, but we're taking advantage of of what we have and uh, trying to uh, glean from the team, but we'll certainly learn a lot more during the course of the season. That's what I was going to ask you. Does he come from the Saban mold where he's as tight lipped and as tight as they can come when it comes to that stuff? Yeah, I think so. I think he's uh, pretty tough, but you know, don't forget Dabo Sweeney was one of his influences too. So he's got, uh, you know, I think he's got a a few guys that he's, uh, you know, uh, drawn from, but uh, Nick Saban is certainly a guy that, uh, you know, uh, I mean, uh, Florida's hired a few Saban disciples. They've hired Will Muschamp. They've hired Jim McElwain. Right. Neither of those really worked out long-term. So we'll, we'll see how this goes. Kind of like the Belichick and his disciples and not, not not always the, the assistants haven't always uh, panned out as well as one of the Belichick has. So appreciate, appreciate the time, man. Great work. And we'll definitely be in touch as we move to the college football season. Yep. Thank you very much. You got it. All right. We'll be uh, right back with our next preview. Thanks to our partners at Print and our real estate agent, Star Alvarado. If you're looking for full service print and banner and sign needs, reach out to Print. Print is located in Tampa off a of gun highway in Northdale, Mabry. Phone number 813-498-2887. Again, full service print options available to you, banners, road signs, you know, corporate events, anything print related, signs, banners, print is your outlet. Reach out to Todd Tedesco, my guy, 813-498-2887. If you're in the real estate market and you're looking to buy or sell a home, 
Star Alvarado is your agent. She can help you on the buying side as well as the selling side. She's a terrific agent located here in the Tampa Bay area. She can service you anywhere in the Tampa Bay area. Reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. Back to the podcast in just a moment. Fans, if you're looking for a podcast that centers around your favorite college football team or conference, check out the College Football Coast to Coast podcast platform. There's going to be podcasts from all over the country covering the SEC, all things Florida college football, the ACC, the Pac-12, the Big Ten, Notre Dame, and even your favorite service academy. There's going to be writers and analysts on the podcast each week breaking down all the major storylines from all your favorite teams, games, and conferences from all over the country. Controversies, coaching decisions, recruiting, and much, much more. So check out the College Football Coast to Coast podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review to your favorite podcast. All right, welcome back. We are on to the Miami Hurricanes. You just heard us talk Florida Gators. We're moving south, heading down to Coral Gables. Lots of doings down in Miami this offseason with the hiring of Mario Cristobal, replacing Manny Diaz. Everybody seems to be very excited about Mario coming back home. If you remember, Mario is a member of the of the of the Hurricanes back in the glory days of the '80s, and no better guy to talk Miami Hurricane football than Ian Hest. Ian's a sports reporter covering the Hurricanes. He's been he's been covering college football for 12 years now, and uh, my Ian's going to be able to give us a full blown breakdown of the Hurricanes and the whole coaching situation. So, welcome to the Florida Football Insiders, Mr. Hest. Thank you, Jason. Glad to be here. Very good. Very good. Uh, how's the weather down there? Uh, a, li- a little hot and humid, but that's how we like it down here. That's right. I know. I'm based in Tampa, so I'm right there with you, man. We get it all. We get it all, too. All right, so let's get right to it. Mario Cristobal comes in from Oregon. The first question I have is, what's going to be different about Mario Cristobal? You know, Miami likes to stay within the family to some degree. What's going to be different with Cristobal than you had with Manny Diaz, with Randy Shannon, with Mark Richt, who all had Miami connections? What seems to be the difference here with Mario? Well, this, this sort of seems like, uh, you know, when, when you first start dating and there are some, you know, relationships that you like that are going well, and then you find the one and you're like, oh, right from day one, you go, this could be something special. That's sort of the situation that Miami feels like they have here with Mario Cristobal. The other ones were good for the time. It fit what you were looking for. It fit your type, if you will. And this one looks to be something special. Mario, if you remember, was always the one who got away. It always looked like Cristobal was going to be there. And it never really fit, whether it was FIU, then Oregon, all, all the situations regarding it. With the, the thing right off the bat that you see with Cristobal over the others is the energy level is just through the roof. The, the sheer volume that comes from practice, the sheer energy that comes from press conferences even. Um, you can see that this man bleeds orange and green. It, it is, you know, all about the U, the U family. And that's not to say that it wasn't like that for the other guys. It was just um, reflected in a different way. And, and this is very much about your, your homecoming, your, your guy that you feel your, you know, your, your family, your La Familia as we say down here, and, and uh, people are feeling a lot better about this, uh, re- the, the, the iteration of this version of a, of a prodigal son really coming back to Coral Gables. Yeah, like I said, he's uh, 
Well, I know part of the negotiation was he was really adamant about demanding some financial improvements and facilities and such. Talk about what they kind of agreed to do. Maybe they haven't done it yet, but it's part of the plan. Yeah, so the indoor practice facility was all was was a project that was going through and obviously something that uh, was hurting Miami on uh, a national scale for quite a while. You, you look at you know programs around the SEC, even now in the ACC, uh, some very impressive facilities. Miami was was very behind the eight ball on that. Um, you know the the improvements that were made to the stadium, the the lease there. I know there was talk about uh, the Ruiz family with, with wanting a new stadium, and and you know this sort of pops up every now and then. They do have the lease through twenty thirty two, so for the foreseeable future they'll be there. Uh, there there was you know to to weight rooms, to locker rooms, um, just a lot of investment made that was long overdue. But someone like Mario coming in and recognizing that as a priority, I think, was different from you know, coaches past. It was always on the wish list. It wasn't uh, a demand. And that, I think, is a little bit of the shift in culture here with him. Talk about the uh, Miami has been really active in the NIL process. Talk about all that stuff and how much that's helped, whether it's getting transfers, high school recruits, uh, you know, whatever, whatever it, it is. Just talk about how active they've been in the NIL process. Well, how could you not sell Miami, right? It's such a right. tough sell to bring people down here. <laughs> Who would ever want to spend four years of their college lives living in South Florida? Um, so, you know, the NIL situation really, uh, it, there's no program in college football that benefited more from the NIL. And I think that everybody in the back of their mind always kind of knew that Miami would be one of the prominent programs that would benefit from a situation like this. They do have the natural born location. They do have the limelight, the, the beaches, the girls, the, the, you know, the electricity of Miami. Uh, and that sort of lends itself to uh, the, the ability to bring about a lot of promotion and a lot of uh, opportunities that the players can find outside of the field. Uh, you know, Miami has also been known in the past for, uh, let's just say, you know, wanting to provide as much of an experience to their their uh, you know college athletes as possible. Sometimes on on the good side of things. Sometimes uh, you know when when they get in a little bit of trouble. Now Luther Campbell can do, do all that stuff exactly <laughs> right. So, so this sort of cleanses and kosherizes it a little. Um, but but I think that that they have uh, you know found themselves in a in a very good situation um, with you know benefactors that want to help the program. Uh, you know, Miami, let's, we always sort of gloss over this, but Miami is a small private school right. and people oftentimes right. forget about that compared. They don't have the large booster funding that, you know, your big time public, especially your land grant universities have. Um, and so this sort of evens that playing field for them. So for them to be able to take advantage of it, maximize that potential has really been something nice. If you're a Canes fan here. Yeah. All right, let's get on the field. Miami was seven and five in 2021, five and three in the ACC. Obviously, Cristobal replaces Manny Diaz. Coaching staff-wise, they bring in Josh Gaddis, the OC from Michigan, which a lot of people like that move. The old grizzled veteran, Kevin Steele, is the defensive coordinator. He seems like he's been at every school in the in the Southeast, in the country in the last 25 years. Um, he's the D.C. They are retiring the turnover chain from all indications. <laughs> so it's about time, right? A lot yeah. of people would say it's about time for those. Talk about just the coaching staff, and is it a coaching staff that people are going to that recruits and transfers are going to be eager to want to be coached by? Yeah, that's actually been a, a very pleasant surprise, if you will. Miami also not known for spending a lot on coaches in the in the past, 
And this really, uh, this staff that Mario's put together is really unlike a staff that the Canes have seen in quite some time. You even look at like Charlie Strong, who's a coach of linebackers as yeah. well. Um, so, the, I mean, there there is talent that, that is up and down this staff in recruiting. They've done a very good job uh, on the recruiting trail. Mario made that a priority as well. So um, th this is a dynamic coaching staff. But the one thing that you hear time and time again from talking to players during this fall camp is how much they're learning. These schemes are very complex. And sometimes where you get a little nervous. And when we first started to hear that, that was like, okay, is this a little too much too soon? But you see from, you know, maybe three, four weeks ago to where they're at today. And that knowledge, that comfortability in, in the offense, especially I would say on the defensive side of the ball is where you see the most um, between the start of fall camp and now where they've uh, really started to, to show their versatility schematically, which from a coaching standpoint looks very interesting to me. All right, let's start on defense. You mentioned defense. Lose a lot of guys. They bring in six kind of transfer guys that they think are going to be key, key contributors. Uh, the area that only 11 turnovers in 2021. Again, that's not Miami. You, when you think Miami back in the day, you think turnovers, big hits, things like that. Not a lot of that last year. They were second worst in the country in red zone defense last year, which, again, is hard to believe a, a place like Miami. Just give me your overall sense of the defense and where where you see some strengths and where do you see some weaknesses? Yeah, you mentioned big hits that Miami is known for, right? Ray Lewis, Jonathan Vilma. We think of these guys. There's 130 teams in FBS football. Miami ranked 130th, dead last in tackling last year. Wow. Uh, that was the the biggest biggest issue. They they probably lost, I would say, two three at least games just simply because of tackling. You go back to that Florida State game, especially. Uh, pretty much given away because of bad tackling. So that's where, the, right off the bat, you'd say number one thing needs to improve. Uh, across the board on the defensive line, this is a really good Miami defensive line. Fans like to do those two deep. So I was going through my two deep on the roster uh, as we're getting rid of, uh, ready for Bethune-Cookman here coming up uh, the first game of the year. And Miami kind of could start nine maybe 10 guys along the defensive line it's that deep it's that versatile they've got some big guys like really up front they've got some some quick versatile guys uh like a, a chance williams that's coming back um kelly's just they've got some real freak athletes on there um so i i really love the defensive line you asked about a weakness if there was one i probably would say it's in that linebacking core we when we mentioned the tackling they're not very deep there as well um the the, the good part about that is they're probably at most going to run maybe a two linebacker set. Sometimes, most of the time, a one linebacker set with a, a star position, sort of that hybrid um, that they like to run against, especially against spread offenses. So, uh, th yeah, the, the the tackling and the linebacking core probably where you would look. But again, they're really they're going to rely a lot on that defensive line, a lot on their safeties and defensive backs. So, not a lot of need in the middle there. Yeah, again, we you and I both know this. When Miami has been great over the years. Great defensive linemen and great secondary guys, safeties, corners, Sean and Taylor, that's what this is. Yep. Mike Rump, those kind of guys that that, that are that are elite, elite uh, kind of players. They've always had good linebackers, but they, you know, other than Ray Lewis, yeah, they've, and they've had Lewis and Vilma. I get it, but you know, the defensive line, the Saps, the those kind of guys have been the guys when Miami's been great. They've dominated up front for sure. So, um, special teams wise. I'm a special teams guy. I'm a former kicker at FSU back in the day and all that stuff. Talk about Miami special teams, kicker, punter, punt return, kickoff return game. 
Yeah, and that would you know the kicking game was a, a bit of an up and down year for for Miami. Um, I, I think that they're they're hoping for for more there. They have one of the best punters in Lou Headley in the, in the nation, I'd say. Um, and, and so I, I think that there is cautious optimism there. Uh, I wouldn't say that anybody is saying that it's a cause for concern, but right. it is always one that, that in the back of your mind, you, you said it best, kicking in Florida State, right? We, we all know <laughs> that, that it can win you games and, and cost you games. So um, I, I would say that they come in with, uh, with the hope that it doesn't become an issue and, and they feel a little bit lukewarm about it as of right now. All right, listen to the Florida Football Insiders. I'm Jason along with Ian Hest. Ian covers uh, the Hurricanes down in Miami. Uh, doing a great job giving us a full breakdown of the roster, the coaching staff, and all that good stuff. Let's go to the offense. Everybody's super excited about Tyler Van Dyke. People think he could potentially be a Heisman Trophy candidate. Again, when Miami's been great back in the back, you know, when they've been great, they've had a great quarterback, and they've not had a great quarterback in a while. You know, a guy that who they really think could be an NFL kind of player, big NFL player. Just talk about Tyler Van Dyke and his development last year and what they really expect out of him moving forward in the new offense. Yeah, you say development last year was really trial by fire. He got thrown in there um, and handled it about as well as I think probably even better than you ever would have imagined someone handling that situation. Um, and, and so the thought around him is that it can only really, the sky's the limit for this kid. Um, he really is a special talent. The way he just, so his, his motion, his throwing motion, I've never seen someone just so smooth. And sometimes with guys like that, you can get your sort of Eli Mannings that float a ball a little too much. His is just very calm and, and composed. It's a, it's a very smooth motion. Um, it, he really throws a very nice deep ball, getting a little bit more control of the offense. Obviously, another new offense. You always worry about that with quarterbacks early on in their collegiate career, especially switching coordinators uh, from years one and two. Um, but it seems to have a, a good control of it. And, and let's be honest, too. If, you know, knock on wood, nothing happens, because like you said, could be a Heisman contender, could be a, a future first-round draft pick in the NFL. Uh, but they do have uh, Jake Garcia like, waiting in the wings that, that is just as good as Tyler Van Dyke. So really no concern that he has to be that guy nonstop every single down throughout this entire season, which is a luxury item really right now for the Canes. You know, looking at Josh Gaddis last year at Michigan, Michigan ran the ball a lot. Obviously, they're spread off. And maybe that was a function of the quarterback not being a very good thrower of the ball. Overall, who knows? Is is this all, Will this offense fit what T Tyler Van Dyke does well as far as throwing the ball? I think so. I, again, he, he throws a great deep ball. Um, and, and they really took it. I mean, you go back to like that pit game. They had a little fun with him really stretching his legs down the field. Um, I, I think that, that really the, the ability for them to move vertically, Miami, whenever their offenses have been a little frustrating is when they go sideline to sideline, not north-south. Right. They, right. they have a tendency to try and get a little too flashy. So a good balance is always what you want. Unfortunately, right now for the running backs in, the, in Miami's situation, they only have three healthy scholarship running backs right now, been uh, you know hit by the injury bug uh, a little bit. Travante Citizen will be out for a while. Don Chaney. Uh, we'll see if he's back by Texas A&M. There's some people are on the optimistic side. Some people are on the pessimistic side of that. Right. Um, but Jalen Knight will really be the, the, the workhorse for now, I think. Um, and, and so they're not very deep right now running back, which, you know, like we said, is, is also a staple for, for the Canes when the Canes are rolling. And, and one thing, again, remember, if you don't know fans, if you don't, if you, if you don't know the philosophy of Mario Cristobal, he's an offensive line coach. So he wants to have a rough and tough offensive line, 
rugged running game. They've always been known for physicality, kind of the Alabama style of offense. So it'll be interesting to see. O-line issues. They, he brought in two Oregon transfers with him, two offensive linemen from Oregon. So very familiar with the scheme and the philosophy and all that stuff. Um, so talk to me about the offensive line and kind of Cristobal's influence there. Yeah, I, it's funny because that might be the, the place where you point to and go, well, this is where Mario's going to help out the most, right? Because Miami has, well, let's see, the past decade, decade and a half, had some pretty shaky offensive lines. And, and that's really been the crux of uh, some, some stymied quarterback careers. Go back to, you know, Ja'Cory Harris, for example. Probably if he was behind a, a better offensive line, what, what a guy like he could have done, Brad Kaya, guys like that throughout the year, they haven't had good offensive lines. Mario, we all know, knows how to play offensive line and even better knows how to coach offensive line. Um, and, and so there's a lot of excitement behind that where basically the position of weakness that's been your crux, especially offensively for the past you know decade, two decades, uh, really could wind up becoming a, a position of strength. Their, their main left tackle, Zion Nelson, did come into fall camp wearing an air cast, so that raised some eyebrows. Um, he is expected to do well, but you know, they do have a lot of versatility. I really like Jalen Rivers. He can play all five positions across the offensive line, which uh, will be really helpful uh, to, to sort of settle down a, a new offensive line. You mentioned the two transfers, right? So there, there's a lot in flux there, but with Mario coaching and really taking that time with that unit, um, it, it's not as dire straits as right. you would have expected with it being another coach. Skill player-wise, wide receiver, tight end, again, you and I both you know know when Miami's been great, they've had the Andre Johnsons, the Reggie Waynes of the world out wide, Shockey, Olsen at tight end, those kind of guys. Do you see any of those kind of elite players? Uh, even if they're young, do you see those, those players on the roster? Yeah, wide receiver is actually kind of a question mark for Miami right now, um, primarily or possibly because they have such good tight ends. So let's start there. Will Mallory comes back again. He was the main target last year probably going to be your main target this year. They've got three really great tight ends, Elijah Arroyo, also Jaleel Skinner, who like right off the top, like looks unbelievably a freshman. It's going to go places for sure. Uh, in the wide receiver room, though, there's a lot of questions. It's probably Xavier Restrepo, who's your number one wide receiver, but he's a slot guy. So you don't have those guys on the outside, like your Andre Johnson's, like your Reggie Wayne's that you were talking about before um, that, that are those guys. So, it's a question of who's going to step up and be that guy. A lot of eyeballs on Brashard Smith possibly being that guy. Um, but, but there really is an opening here for guys to, you know, show up and, and say, take the reins of this and say, this is going to be my role. Because if there was really one glaring thing, it's those, those two outside wide receiver spots. No one knows who's going to be out there. All right, let's get to the schedule. Get, uh, looking at the schedule, if they can if they can navigate a couple games, they've got a chance to have a big year. Obviously, their huge showdown in week three. They go to Texas A and M. That's kind of that's going to be a huge national game. You know, Mario's first kind of out non conference showdown with Jimbo. Um, if they can get out of that game somehow with a win, again, tough place to play in College Station. They got a pretty good schedule up until November. You got in November, you got. Florida State, you got Clemson, you got my, and Pittsburgh. But if they can get through Texas A&M, they got a chance to be, you know, at worst case scenario, one loss heading into November. What your your thoughts on the early part of that schedule, especially the A&M game? Yeah, so Miami is favored in all but two games on their entire schedule yeah. right now. That's at Texas A&M and at Clemson, like you right. mentioned, to end the year. Um, and, and so 
you have to look at that right off the bat and say, okay, this hopefully would produce a lot of wins. Uh, that Texas A&M game is the one circled that they're a little fortunate that it's week three for them now this right. year, instead of Alabama, that was right off the bat, that sort of snowballed into Michigan state last year too, where they could never really get it going uh, in their third game then. Uh, so that Texas A&M game, yeah, a lot of people are going to be excited about it. One that I think Miami looks at as a chance to, you know, we the joke is always made, is Miami back? That's your is Miami back game. And whether or not they, whether or not they win, I think nationally would matter less than locally. Locally, if they want to win this, I mean, obviously, but I, I think that you know, a moral victory would not do well in Miami, whereas nationally you might see, you know, those talking heads be like, oh, Miami's getting competitive again, things like that. Right. Um, so going further down the schedule, you have to look at trap games um, for them. Virginia, a lot of people have as their dark horse. So I'd circle that as probably their dark horse, you know, upset loss game um, in the ACC. And if they want to make the win the Coastal, that's pretty much, I think, probably the game that it'll come down to. I'm with you. I mean, I, I... I see very possibly a 10-win season here. You know, if, if, even if you lose to AM and Clemson, every other game on the schedule is very winnable, and they'll probably be a favorite, like you said, w- with Vegas and, w- and with the with the you know the football power power index guys, they'll be a favorite. And again, Miami, you got to win the game you're supposed to win. You can't lose. You can't slip up to the to the Virginias, to the Wake. You know the, those kind of teams that you're supposed that you should be better than, especially home games. Miami has lost a ton of home games in the last decade of games that you would think, man, how are they losing to those guys at home? Uh, Talking about the fan base, is the fan base pretty excited about? Obviously, I know they're excited about Crystal Ball, but that's a fickle fan base. If they look, if they lose a game or two, they shouldn't lose. They are very fair weathered fans down there for the Canes. So talk about the fan base and the in the commitment to the process. Cause again, you're not going to win a national championship in one year down there. It's going to take a couple of years probably recruiting with Mario to really get them back to the level they want to be at. Yeah, there is a lot of optimism. Surprising coming off a, a seven and five team that was invited to a bowl, decided not to go to one last year. Uh, but like you said, the, the schedule is favorable. Uh, and, and they think that they really can attack it. The fans are excited. They believe that they have their next, you know, big head coach that's going to be here for a long time um, that Miami really hasn't had, you know, forever. I mean, Jimmy was only here for a couple of years. Uh, you know, Howard Schnellenberger was only here uh, right. for, for four or five. So you even go back to the glory days that they haven't had that, but they feel like they have that now. So there is a lot of excitement uh, around it. Hard Rock Stadium starting to feel like a home. That really changed a couple of years ago when they made that big run against Notre Dame, against Virginia Tech. It sort of started to feel like home and a fortress, especially with the roof now. Um, It gets pretty loud over there. Uh, So I I think that from a fan base perspective, this is one of the most exciting off-seasons Miami's had, man, since uh, 20 years, maybe. Uh, So I I really think that... that, uh, they're, they're going to show up. Like you said, can they ride the momentum? If they lose to Texas A&M, do people turn right off the bat or do they give them a, a little bit longer of a leash? Right. That's always the question with Miami fans. You always know that everything's turning south when they start flying planes with banners over the stadium. <laughs> That's normally the, the, the cue that things are not going well. So as long as the, the planes stay out of the sky, we're probably good for now. <laughs> All right, let's get to Cristobal. One more comment about Cristobal on the field coaching. One of his kind of things that he kind of got 
hit t- takes hits on is his in-game coaching manage co- coaching. You know, he's only got a 62 and 60 record. I know he's been at FAU, but he doesn't have the greatest head coaching record in the world as a head coach. Just talk about his in-game coaching man, you know, in-game management decisions, go for it on fourth down, timeout usage, things like that. Is that something that you you've seen uh, that that ner- makes you nervous as as a as a covering the team? How does that how does that dynamic play into things? Nervous, no, but I, but I definitely something to keep an eye out on, and I think Demario would be fair in, in you know assessing himself on that. He is an honest guy, and probably would say that that he's always getting better. He's always trying to learn. Um, you know, obviously you don't want too much on the job learning here in a situation like this. Right. I, I think that in re in, you know, more recent seasons at Oregon, he had improved on that. No coach is perfect. Um, but I, I don't want to sort of set a narrative that this is an issue heading in. I don't think that anybody is necessarily thinking, oh, well, you know, if not for a called timeout in the first sure. quarter, there sure. could have been a two minute drive at the end. There, there's nobody real, real feeling about that. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that, there have been instances that you've seen you go, okay, well, let, let's see how we could have done this better. Yeah, I gotcha. Um, do you sense the, um, again, first couple games, opening games, do you sense the, um, how, how, are, how, how does he think things are going pro- pro- progressing wise through camp? I mean, it's, it's, it's he's not going to probably tell the truth probably to the media, obviously, but <laughs> do you get, do you get the sense of confidence that he thinks he's got a pretty good team? coaches not telling the media not telling us the <laughs> truth i've never never come across that before no i, I mean I, I think that he you can only hide so much right we, we get to watch them and and you can see the 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 improvement from the start you can see the improvement uh with your own eyes so uh there is palpable understanding of of what the coaching staff has been able to do in this short period of time and there is a sense of confidence that that uh, trajectory can continue to improve over the course. They start with Bethune Cookman, Southern Miss. I think both games that they think really can allow them to ease into this a little bit more. Right. Right. Um, if you were, if I was a betting man, I'd probably say that they would have preferred this Texas A&M game be at home and the return sure. one be at A&M. Just simply with how you know schedulings and and everything sure. going at Clemson being at the start of a new regime. Um, so. From, from that perspective, I guess you could say, well, they have to institute things a little quicker, but from all, from all intents and purposes, it looks like it's fine. It, looks, it doesn't look chaotic. It doesn't look like, uh, you, you know, this is everybody scrambling like a chicken with their head cut off trying to figure out what's going on. It, it does seem like there is organizational management going on in Miami. Well, Ian, great work, man. Awesome analysis. Again, we're going to check back in with you very regularly during this uh, football season. Florida Football Insiders, great, great insight. Tell everybody where they can find your work online and on social media. Yeah, uh, I freelance around the area, so you can catch it pretty much everywhere you get uh, your college football uh, covering Canes for for quite a while. So uh, you can follow me at Twitter, at Ian Hest, I-A-N-H-E-S-T. Awesome work, man. I appreciate the time, and we will be back in touch. We'll probably definitely have you on that week of that Texas A&M game to preview, preview that. So keep up the great work and appreciate the time. Sounds good, Jason. Thank you. Have a great one. Okay, up next, you've just heard about the Miami Hurricanes, Mario Cristobal and company. Now we are staying in South Florida, and we're going to hit some FAU, the Owls, 2022 Owls. Willie Taggart's year number three in charge in Boca. He finished uh, 2021 five and seven, lost the last four games. They were doing well, five and three. 
lost the last four games of 2021, ended up three and five in the, uh, in, in the conference. Some big news coming out of Boca. They are moving from Conference USA to the AAC, not this year, but next year. And we have nobody better to talk about all things FAU than the site publisher of owls247.com, Mr. Kevin Fielder. Welcome to the Florida Football Insiders Podcast, Kevin. Thanks for having me on, Jason. Anytime. Appreciate you, man. All right, talk to me first about the move. What's the kind of what's the sentiment and what's the excitement level about the move from from CUSA to the AAC next year? I think I wrote about it when they actually joined probably now what's like six or seven months, it feels like, uh, with, with all the other conference realignment news that has sort of gone on. But I wrote back then that this is the biggest move in FAU football history. Uh, you know, it may arguably be the biggest move in FAU athletics history. I mean, when you look at, uh, you know, going from Conference USA to a bigger conference, a bigger, you know, a bigger market. The the TV deals are so much bigger in the American, even if it gets adjusted, uh, you know, with teams like Charlotte and UCF leaving. But for FAU, it's a chance to get on ESPN. It's a chance to play some of the top teams, you know, in group of five. We're talking about teams like SMU and Memphis, who are still in the conference, who, you know, Memphis, even if they weren't that good last year, two, three years ago, were in the AAC championship game. I mean, this is this is one of the biggest moves for FAU, uh, you know, from a money standpoint, from an athletic standpoint, from, you know, a, a marketing standpoint, uh, you know, there are a lot of moves that FAU have made over the past that are sort of helped build up this moment. And I, I certainly think the success on the football field under Lane Kiffin, uh, you know, for those three years helped, but, you know, this is just point blank, the biggest move in FAU athletics history. No, and I agree. I think, I think you'll see it on the recruiting trail as well. They'll get a little bit better player athlete, um, to be able to to be able to come to Boca and come to FAU, it'll help the other sports too. You know the basketball program, the, the other the other non revenue, some of the other non revenue sports get a little bit better player and a little bit better athlete that'll be able to come down there because you're in a beautiful setting. You you're in Boca. I mean, not many people can can ask for a better place to go to college than South Florida, Boca Raton, and all the all the uh, dressings and all the <laughs> say what you want, <laughs> whatever word <laughs> adjective you want to use for all the uh, stuff that goes on and down in South, South Florida. But yeah, I think it's a big move. And again, I think good for CUSA, you get into a bigger, you get the TV market, you get, uh, you know, bigger, uh, the Miami, Fort Lauderdale, that whole area community involved. So I think it's, like you said, I think it's a good move all around. Willie Taggart year three. What's the, what's the chatter about Willie in year three, obviously sounds like, uh, you know, he struggled at the end of the year last year. Are they happy with Willie? Are they expecting more? What's the sentiment with Willie? I think I, I think it's just you know a sense of last season may have not gone their way and you know let's be let let's be real honest that Willie Taggart may have not always had the best of situations at FAU when you look at his first year being the COVID year and they were playing games where they were missing thirty five players and you know the fact they made a bowl game that year is is impressive in and of itself and last year uh, you know frankly there is no excuse for the way that they finished last season and every FAU player and every FAU coach has uttered those similar sentiments. There was no excuse for losing the last four games of the year when you needed one to make a bowl game. Right. Uh, and, you know, they, it's not like they were losing to the best teams in Conference USA. They definitely lost to two of the better ones in the conference in Western Kentucky and Marshall. But, you know, losing to ODU, losing to Middle Tennessee at home to end the year, those are games that FAU needed to win last year. Uh, and they just didn't happen. Uh, I think coming into this year, it's, uh, you know, that, that seat's getting maybe a little bit hotter for Willie Taggart. Um, you know, there there has to be results on the football field. Uh, you know, above all else, all the talk about recruiting and transfers and, you know, moving to the American is cool, but 
results on the football field matter and Willie Taggart needs to turn around this year. And, uh, you know, I, I think he certainly has all the pieces to do so. Uh, they they hit their they, they hit the transfer portal hard. They were able to get in a couple freshmen who are expected to make, uh, you know, impacts. And you look at that offense and that defense, they return a lot of key players. Uh, there are certainly the pieces in place to turn around that five and seven season, uh, you know, with with just uh, more consistency. And that's sort of the biggest thing is finding more consistency throughout the year. Yeah, I mean, they were active. They've been active in the portal the last couple of years. 16 transfers the last two years. They brought in a couple key guys this year. They're expecting to fill big roles. Let's go to the offense. Let's start with uh, Nikosi Perry, the Miami transfer quarterback, had a good year, 2,800 yards, about 20 touchdowns last year passing. Johnny Ford, a guy that I know up, up here in Tampa, USF transfer, the running back. He played he played pretty well, a little scat back guy. I, mean, I remember seeing him. I'm not very tall, but he's shorter than I am. <laughs> he's a, he is a little guy, man, but he's got some juice and got some burst. And he's a good player, and you know, um, in that kind of league, he can be a real weapon uh, it, it, with some of the teams that they play. So, just talk about the skill players. Obviously, Perry and Ford are both back. Talk about the skill players, quarterback, running backs, receivers at FAU. Yeah, it's sort of interesting because last season and Kosi Perry joined right before the start of fall and he was thrown into the middle of a quarterback battle. You know, the, the minute he stepped onto camp and the minute camp started, he was in a quarterback battle with incredibly high expectations and something that Willie Taggart and, and Kosi Perry have talked about throughout uh, camp, uh, you know, when, when media has talked to him is this is now a situation for him where, you know, he's not trying to figure out his teammates and win a starting job. Right. Uh, you know, he came into camp as the expected starter and he's taken on a huge leadership role. Every single player has talked about, uh, you know, the changes that he's made in leadership and, and you know, approaching every single day differently. Uh, I think when you pair that with the returning skill positions that they have, I mean, we're talking two running backs who returned from last year, Larry McCammon and Johnny Ford. Uh, you're talking about adding another one in Nebraska transfer, Marvin Scott. Uh, the wide receiver room, you return your top two uh, receiving targets in the Jonte Western, Jaquan Burton. And then you have guys behind them who FAU are really excited about, uh, you know, a guy like Jamal Adrian, who's uh, now a redshirt freshman, missed a majority of last season with, uh, you know, an injury and, you know, weren't, wasn't able to get fully going, but there's a lot of expectations on a guy like him, uh, you know, who passed up power five offers to come to FAU out of high school uh, FSU transfer Jordan Young is a guy who adds, I think, a, a sense of leadership and, and veteran, uh, you know, approach to the wide receiver room because, uh, you know, Jaquan Burton, LeJonte Wester are younger guys. Uh, Jamal Adrian is obviously just a, red, uh, a redshirt freshman. The tight end room needs to get figured out. Uh, you know, you have a couple guys who I think FAU like, but there hasn't been a guy who separated himself in that room. Uh, it's former walk-on Austin Evans, Carter Boatwright, and FSU transfer. There are guys in that room that they like, but just overall, they haven't figured it out yet. And, uh, you know, the tight end position is an interesting one in Brent Dearman's offense, their new offensive coordinator who came from Middle Tennessee last year. Uh, but overall, when you look at their entire offensive skill position standpoint, there's a lot to like, you know, across the board. And I think you pair that with a returning quarterback in right. Kosi Perry. Right. And right. there is the chances that this offense takes that huge leap that they've been looking for under Rayleigh Taggart. Offensive line, big transfer they brought in from uh, Rutgers, Brendan Bourdain. They expected him to, to, to be a, a factor for him. Veteran offensive line, but maybe underachieved last year. Maybe didn't play as well. Sounds like they have a veteran group, but they need him to play a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, this is an offensive line group that has combined almost 10,000 snaps or close to it. I mean, this yeah. is an offensive line group that 
has tons of experience. Nick Weber has been their starting center for the last like three years. And he returned uh, taking his extra COVID super year. senior year. Yep. Yep. Uh, you know, you obviously bring in Brendan Bordner from Rutgers, who's a left tackle who last season was able to, you know, get consistent playing time for Rutgers program and had power five interest, uh, yeah. but chose FAU. And that's a major get for FAU, especially sure. at the offensive tackle position where last season, uh, you know, I think there were high moments and there were certainly low moments for that offensive line. Uh, you know, there, there were games where they was firing, they were clicking on all cylinders and you were talking about one of the better offensive lines in the conference, but then there were games where they struggled, uh, you know, just to recognize things and, and react to things. But I think this year, uh, another year under coach Ed Warner, who is one of the more experienced offensive line coaches in college football uh, will certainly help. And adding guys like Brendan Warner and having almost 10,000 staffs to that room is certainly going to help this team not have to have a transition, uh, you know, from year to year, uh, and then it's also important to note that they added another left offensive guard in Dorian Hinton uh, from Middle Tennessee, who has experience in the Brenton Dooman offense. Right. Uh, you know, from from a year ago, was able to play an entire year in this offense and was a consistent starter for that team. So having all those pieces there, uh, if they can find the right five guys, uh, and it's, it's int- going to be interesting to see who they trot out for week one, uh, because there's so much experience in that room and there's so many guys who, uh, you know, had high moments, had low moments, and just, uh, you know, if they can get consistent and they can put it all together, that line can be one of the better, more experienced lines in the, in, in not only, I think, Conference USA, but also in G5 and potentially in the nation with the amount of snaps between them. Right. All right. So one thing I noticed looking at the stats, one thing they really, the offense in general struggled last year, which which is probably a direct reflection on their struggles on defense, was time of possession about 27 minutes a game. They, they only average about 27 minutes a game time possession. So I, I would imagine that's a area of emphasis is you want to hold the ball a little longer, you know, whether it's, you know, use a little more time on the play clock, whatever the formula is, you need to be on that offense needs to be on the field longer. You got good skill guys. You got a good running game, stay on the field longer to help protect that defense a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest problem going back to last year in terms of not having time possession was two things. Really. It was, Timely mistakes, uh, you know, there, there were drives last year where they would consistently put together good play after good play, and they would drive down the field and get into, you know, the the opponent's territory, and then they turn the ball over. Right. Or they'd have a key drop on third down and have to punt the football away, or they'd have a key penalty on, right. you know, second down and push them behind the sticks. And, uh, you know, it, it, that has been something that I think Willie Taggart and the offensive staff really stressed on throughout the offseason was correcting those mistakes and, and finding more consistent play. Uh, you know, I think consistency is really the big key word for FAU this year is finding more consistency. Uh, and then I think the second biggest problem last year was just not a consistent running game. Uh, you know, you had Johnny Ford, who at times was incredibly gifted, but he had some injury problems throughout the year where he'd get banged up and miss a couple drives. And I just don't think FAU were able to find a consistent second option behind him. They had a couple guys who they tried. Uh, James Charles, Larry, uh, Larry Buchanan, um, Malcolm Davidson, and then later in the year, they tried guys like uh, true freshman Zubair Mobley and Kelvin Dean, and they were just never able to find a consistent second running back. So when Johnny Ford went out for, uh, you know, any sort of extended time during games, uh, it sort of spiraled into a sense of, you know, having to pass the ball, having to rely on passing the ball. And Correct. It, it just, it changed the way that defenses react to FAU. And more importantly, I think it just put them behind the sticks. And, uh, you know, FAU is going to be a team this year that want to run the ball and want to consistently run the ball. And I think 
you know, as, as, as we talked about having better guys behind Johnny Ford and with Johnny Ford, uh, you know, having a deeper running back room is certainly going to help them, uh, you know, hold on to the football longer, sustain more drives and, and, you know, more importantly, keep that defense off the field. So they're not having to come it back in a minute, two minutes later after they, you know, they, they got a key stop. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. All right. Let's go to special teams before we get to the defense. Kicking game nine out of twelve last year. Kicking field goals. The punting was pretty good last year. Any 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 major n- notes and that you want to add about the whether it's kick return, the coverage teams, that kind of stuff heading into this year. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because uh, they lose their starting punter Matthew Hayball, who go who transferred to Vanderbilt, and they lost their starting kicker and Aaron Shariari. Uh, so they're trying to replace two guys, and they brought in another Australian punter, Riley Thompson, who was put on scholarship and they have a kicker in Morgan Suarez, who was one of the better kickers, uh, you know, in Palm Beach County when he was in high school and right. was able to kick uh, a couple times last year. Uh, I think that this is going to be a room that is going to rely on those guys taking the steps that they expect. And, you know, uh, clearly they didn't go in, they get didn't get a veteran punter. So they feel like they have something in Riley Thompson. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think overall, this that's going to be the kind of underrated fact for FAUs. If they can keep teams in valuable field position for the defense and allow the defense to get into those positions, and I think more importantly, if they can find a consistent kicking game, right, it quickly turns that offense into one of, you know, we have to score a touchdown every single drive to, you know, if we can get in a field goal range a couple of times and we can get three points as opposed to getting zero points, that adds three points to your total, obviously, and it helps you know, just consistently put together a solid football team from top to bottom. And, te- and to me, te- and I, I'm, I'm, I don't think I told you this, Kevin, but I'm a former kicker <laughs> off of the day in college. So I, and so I, I, it, I, I take special teams very seriously. The teams that are, that are middle of the road, there's going to be a lot of close games. So those, yep. those hidden yards in the punting game, those kickoff return yards, making the 40 yard field goals that you need to make, don't miss extra points, things like that. That all dictate how coaches coach the game later on, whether you go for it on fourth down, whether you, you know, instead of kicking a long field goal, do you punt? Do you, you know, those are all the decisions where if you have reliable kickers and punters that makes the, makes the game management part for Willie Taggart that much easier. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things where if you look at it, uh, you know, there were times that Willie Taggart last year would go for it on fourth and five, you know, in those in that gray area for field goals where we're talking like maybe a 42 or 43 right. yarder and you don't, right. you don't feel confident with your kicker. If you feel confident enough with your kicker, you're sending him out there for a 43 yard field goal. And right. if he makes it, there's three points that you may have not gotten. And right. uh, you know, and then in terms of punting, if you can pin a guy deep 10, if, if you can pin a guy inside the 10 yard line, you're right. talking about a completely different approach to the defense. The defense can sort of play its own game and not have to try and protect the sticks every single down. And then, you know, something that uh, we haven't mentioned is punt return and kick return. If you can get solid field position and FAU is in this interesting position where they return their uh, kick return and punt returner in the John Tay Wester and Jaquan Burton, you know, you're talking about a situation where this offense doesn't have to go 80 yards. They only have to go 65. Yeah. Yeah. 65 yards. And, you know, it may only saying 15 yards doesn't make a big difference, but that's 15 at less yards. And that's, 15 less yards to field goal range or 15 less yards to a touchdown. And right. in games uh, last year where FAU were tight and trying to figure out and find that last stop, I think there were drives last year where they could have used just getting a field goal and, you know, going back to the sideline going, all right, well, we've, we've got three. It's no longer a seven point game. Now it's only a four point game. We score a touchdown. We're back in this game. I mean, right. I, I think it's going to help if they can find a consistent special teams unit that they can rely on to consistently take that next step. Does Taggart value that? Is that something they coach a lot? 
Yeah, I mean, it's uh, they they have an analyst who's only dedicated to special teams, and uh, they bring in Chad Lunsford, who's been a special teams coordinator in the past and has head coaching experience. And I think it's something that they've stressed is you know finding consistently consistency in the special teams game and just being able to you know, consistently rely on those guys and not make critical errors on those units because that can just kill a team, uh, you know, and just deflate every mo- kind of momentum that you have. All right, so you listen to the F- Florida Football Insiders and with Kevin Fielder. He's the site publisher for Owls247.com. He knows all things FAU. We're breaking down the FAU roster, coaching staff. We're going to get to the schedule here in a few minutes. But again, all things FSU, uh, FAU. Kevin, tell everybody where they can find your work. Is it all at Owls247? Yeah, I mean, my personal Twitter is at the Kevin Fielder. I tweet from there sometimes uh, at Owls247 and uh, Owls247.com. Yeah, he does a great job covering all things FAU. Um, All right, let's get to the defense. One of the good stats. They were best in the league last year in third down conversions, or third down defense. You know, sounds like they need a pass rush needs to be better. Just give me Mm -hmm. your overall general thoughts on the defense. Uh, you know, biggest thing is finding a consistent pass rush. You know, this is a Todd Orlando defense that relies on having consistent pass rush, especially from the outside, uh, you know, from your edge rushers. Uh, they return Jalen Joyner, who is at times has proven that he's one of the better um, pass rushers in the league. They bring in a Juco transfer and Xavier Peters, who I think they're really excited about. They bring in a Tennessee transfer, Morvin Joseph, who will likely employ some sort of pass rush role. I mean, this is going to be a unit that if they can find what they were missing last year and injuries certainly didn't help them last year in terms of pass rush, uh, but they can find that that's going to really help them. Uh, you know, especially when you talk about that cornerback room, uh, you know, it's sort of been the biggest question mark throughout camp is who's starting at cornerback when you have to replace your starting cornerbacks from last year, technically all three of them, uh, you know, from the opening game uh, from last season, now it sort of becomes a situation of, well, you have one guy in smoke uh, in Romaine Smoke Mungin who they love and has consistently been able to put together good performances. He's likely a starter at some point, but they brought in uh, two transfers in Damon Hill and uh, Michael Anton from Iowa State or from Central Michigan and Iowa State, uh, respectively. They have a guy in Jaden Williams who's last year had some good moments. I think he was sort of playing out of position. He's more of a nickel corner than the the slot outside corner that they put him at. But I think overall, uh, if you could find who your starting three are at cornerback, if you can find a pass rush, you've got all the other pieces across this defense to be a really good defense in Conference USA. Uh, TJ Young is one of the better safeties in Conference USA, and last season, uh, you know, got robbed of being on one of the all-conference teams. Evan Anderson is 330 pounds of pure strength and pure dominance. Uh, you know, he's one of the better nose tackles in in Conference USA. Uh, you know, you have guys around. Uh, the the question marks that pass rusher and cornerback, you just have to find who's going to start at cornerback and, you know, who, who are your best pass rushers and how can you put them in situations to succeed? Because last season, they just didn't have a pass rush throughout the year and they were trying to, uh, you know, rely so much on these cornerbacks and so much on that, that back seven of making plays that, you know, when it, when it got down to it, they just couldn't consistently get off the field or consistently create enough plays where they were, uh, you know, putting teams behind the sticks. And that's right. something that they sort of stressed last year. And I think it's something that, uh, you know, Todd Orlando has always stressed playing really aggressive and trying to get teams into those unfavorable situations. 
And when you have to, and like you, your point on the pass rush is when you have to blitz a fifth and sixth guy, yeah, that exposes I mean, the safeties and the DBs a little more. You got to play man behind it, where if you can get some pressure with four guys, you can play the back seven, can be a, an effective part. And you don't have to be as skilled back there because you got some help and you got some numbers back there to cover. Yeah, I mean, if if you can blitz four all game, and I think every defensive coordinator in the nation will tell you, if you can blitz four all game, you're going to win every football game. If you can blitz four consistently, you're going to win every football game because right. then you've got seven guys covering, and you've got seven guys taking up every single spot on the defense. And even if you play man or even if you play zone, you've got seven guys out there who can protect you. But when you're blitzing five, six, like they were last year, that's leaving these cornerbacks on islands that they – uh, you know, I, I think they played well. Zion Gilbert played particularly well last year. And I think, uh, you know, Khalif Bryce and some of those other guys played really well throughout the year. But it's just not a, a winning recipe it's not sustainable. for football. It's not, it's, not, it's not a winning recipe for football. I mean, you can right. you can win some games blitzing five or six all day, but you right. have to be able to win with four. And last season, FAU just wasn't able to win with four throughout the year. So they were constantly having to send extra guys. Yeah, I mean, it's and, and you mentioned Zion Gilbert. He's in training camp with the Giants. So, I mean, he's an NFL prospect kind of guy. So, you lose a big piece back there at corner. So, all right, let's get to the schedule. FAU's one of the uh, one of the teams that starts this weekend. Got a got a you know a conference game with Charlotte Saturday night home home game. Correct? Yes, it's it it is a home game, and it's a very unique position for FAU in the sense of playing a conference opponent to start the year. Yeah, so it's a more critical, more, you know, you can't, there's no cupcake to start the year. Not, yep. It's not a non-conference. You got to come out the gates ready to go. And it might help them that, it, again, that they have a veteran team. You got a veteran quarterback, you got running backs, you got, uh, you know, veterans. So that might help them get them dialed up a little quicker, where if you had a bunch of new guys, new quarterback, new everything, it'd be a ch- more challenge. So, uh, so Charlotte week one, then two weeks later, you got UCF at home, which is a big, huge in-state game. A lot of bragging rights. And then you have Purdue on the road the following week of the 24th. So the opening three, four weeks of the season is going to be going to be a, 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 a you'll know where FAU is going to probably wind up being as far as, you know, overall record ballpark ish, you know, after that, after that Purdue game. Yeah. I mean, you'll FAU, you're going to know who FAU is after the first five weeks of the season. You're going to know if they're a team that is going to compete for a conference USA championship if they're a team that's going to be, you know, I think one of those middle of the pack teams that is, you know, eight and four, something like that, you know, consistently playing good opponents and, and consistently playing good games, or if they're just another team that's going to struggle. I mean, those first five games are going to make or break FAU season. You talk about starting, a, a, you know, with a conference opponent and having to win that first game, uh, because I think that, you know, conference games are going to be so important for FAU. And, you know, you can talk all you want about the UCFs and the Purdue games that are, you know, fun games to potentially win. If you want to win a conference championship, you got to win in the conference. I mean, that's and home games and you got to win your home games. Yeah. I mean, no one, no one cares if you beat UCF, if you don't make a conference title or if you aren't a good team in conference, because right. that's where the bulk of your schedule comes. And, uh, you know, I think that the UCF Purdue games are sort of interesting because, uh, you know, FAU has not beaten a power five opponent in God, probably I th- their last one was Minnesota. And I think that was in like the 2010s or something. I mean, right. it's been a while since they've been able to beat a power five opponent. Purdue's one of those sort of mid-tier power five opponents where you're like, they could constantly be on upset alert or they could constantly be the ones upsetting other teams. Uh, right. You know, you look back to that year where they beat number two, Ohio state as yep. sort of the perfect example to that. Yep. You know, UCF is a team that has question marks and the past, last two times that FAU has played UCF, UCF have been able to pretty much run them out the stadium and outplay them for an entire game. But it's sort of this unique situation where FAU can, 
start the season four and one and have all this kind of momentum. And you're talking about, you know, oh, well, we lost one of those games against UCF Purdue, but we beat the other one. Right. They could also start three and two and, you know, have your three expected wins in Charlotte, uh, Southeastern Louisiana and Ohio and go, you know what? We didn't beat those two teams. If we play them well, you know, that's a different situation. And I think there's also a situation where they're two and three or one and four. And you're talking about them losing to a team like, like, you know, Charlotte, like, like a Charlotte. Ohio. Yeah, or or an Ohio that of a team that they should be beating, uh, but I think you're going to know who FAU is after the first five weeks of the season, and then after that, it's going to be a matter of cons- keeping that consistency. Uh, you know, you have games after that that are going to be, I think, difficult. Uh, you look at UAB and West Kentucky, who are going yep. to be two of the better teams in conference. Yeah. Uh, you know, you you obviously it's hard to not mention the Shula Bowl, even if FAU have consistently beaten their biggest rivals in FIU. Um, <laughs> But, I mean, there are games after this stretch of those first five games that are going to be good ones to watch and good ones to see where FAU currently stand. I mean, I look at the game right after Purdue is North Texas, and North Texas is a team that may very well improve off of what they've done last year. Uh, you know, sort of like FAU, they return a lot of their key players from last year. Uh, but if you aren't good in your first five weeks of the season, I think there are going to be a lot of fans and a lot of people who are just frustrated with the the inconsistencies and I think it's so important that they you know not only start off well but they they got to win that first game that first game is going to really uh you know could potentially define their entire season and I think it sounds crazy going well one game is going to define your entire season in week zero but the you momentum know, it could, the momentum it could create yeah, or mean, it could kill the momentum if they were to fall and stumble yeah I mean that's that's not only that but that's also a conference game this isn't right. just a game against UCF if UCF was week zero you lose the game you know you look forward you've got all these the conference world. games left yeah. you've got all these conference games left but you lose that first conference game who knows what happens after that so I think it's going to be so important that they start off well against Charlotte and under Willie Taggart they've beaten Charlotte twice so you know they're, they're looking to go three and zero against them but Charlotte is again one of those teams that can be dangerous on any given day we saw it last year when they beat a power five opponent you know if right. they find their right consistency. They're a team that can beat you at any point. Last question. I'll get you out of here about this. goes back to Willie Taggart. Taggart has been known as a tremendous recruiter over the years. South Florida, Oregon, FSU can recruit guys, can get them to campus. But I think the big question with Willie has been, can he coach them up? Can he get the most out of guys when he gets them on the campus? What are you, what is your sense of the, of the coaching staff as a whole? Do they do a good enough job of getting the most out of what they got? Yeah, I mean, I think that this is going to be the biggest year for FAU in that sense. Uh, you know, I was remember looking back at it, and I looked back at it, and they were playing guys two years ago who were true freshmen who just got on campus during a COVID season. And right. it has all been sort of building towards this third year of getting all these guys who are consistent players and who can win at a consistent level. Uh, the biggest thing for FAU, and they've stressed this a lot, is developing. You know, we, we want to be able to develop, and I think it was Todd Orlando who said this at one point, we want to have a three or four deep. We want to be able to have four deep at a position where we can rely on them if needed, and they provide their own internal competition. We don't want to be manufacturing competition throughout the year. Right. And I think that's been the biggest part for FAU, and I think now you're in the situation where you're looking at guys who are, you know, you look at a guy like LeJonte West and Evan Anderson who got on campus with Willie Taggart. They played as freshmen, yep. and now they are some of the better players on this football team, and they are some of the better impactful players. And, you know, you look at guys from last year's class that they expect to take steps up. Uh, you know, a guy like Jaden Williams is a guy who may very well start for FAU in week one. Uh, you know, a guy like Jay Sean Platt, who they just got on campus, uh, you know, for, I think summer of this year or uh, winter of this year, 
uh, is a guy who they may very well play at wide receiver. There are guys that they really like, you know, across the board, young talents that they really like that they rely on. It's just a matter of finding the right pieces, but development has been the biggest thing. And I think that's why they went out and they got guys like Brandon Harris, uh, you know, the cornerbacks coach, they went up, they got a guy like Derek Gibson as their safeties coach. These are guys who have developed talent. Uh, Derek Gibson is a former Miami uh, high school football head coach. Uh, Brandon Harris played cornerback at the University of Miami. And these are guys who have the experience. Uh, you know, a guy like Billy Gonzalez on offense, uh, former wide receiver coach for Florida. Mm-hmm. These right. are guys who have been around the block and guys who know how to develop talent. Uh, you know, the biggest thing is just being able to develop some of these younger guys. So you're not consistently relying on having to go to the transfer portal and get 16 transfers in two years, uh, because that's not always sustainable football. It may work at certain points, but you want to be able to develop from within. And I think that's the biggest thing that Willie Tiger has preached since coming here is, you know, we want to be able to develop our own homegrown talent. We don't want to have to consistently go in the transfer portal. And we would rather just go in and pluck the needs that we need. And, you know, bring in four guys in the transfer portal class of consistent talents. Great job, Kevin, man. That's, that's an awesome analysis on the program and coaching staff, offense, defense. I mean, excellent job. Definitely check out Kevin's work at, at owls247.com. Um, site publisher, again, you put out stuff every, uh, you know, multiple times a week. You'll be, you'll be at the game, I'm sure, Saturday night against Charlotte, putting with some, with, uh, putting Almost out. Unfortunately, I, I don't love the, the late night games. I really do not. <laughs> Well, at least it won't be 105. It might be oh, 95 geez. when they kick off, but at least it won't be 105. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I mean, at least it won't be ungodly hot. But still, I mean, I would rather it be a 3:30 kickoff where we're all out of there by nine o'clock. But <laughs> we'll keep up the great work, Kevin. We'll have you definitely have you back on as as the season moves along and uh, continue success, man. Appreciate it, Jason. Anytime, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Kevin. And we'll be back with. The next up, we're going to talk University of South Florida Bulls with Colin Sherwin. We'll be right back. Okay, next up, we've just finished up the Miami Hurricane. I'm sorry, we've just finished up FAU. We are staying close to home in our home, my hometown, Tampa. We are going to hit the South Florida Bulls. Jeff Scott in year three, coming off a uh, two and ten struggle last year, one and seven in the AAC or in the AAC, uh, I'm, I don't know why I'm going just completely. You had it. No, it's it's the AAC. It's still yes. hard. it's still hard when you're talking when you're talking Florida State Miami a lot. It's hard to make yes. an adjustment back. I do it all the time too. <laughs> My mistake. And the voice you heard is Mr. Colin Sherwin. Colin is the college sports editor for DraftKings Nation. He's going to be joining us here to talk all things South Florida Bulls. So welcome to the Florida Football Insiders, Mr. Sherwin. Thanks, Jason. Great to be here. Um, yeah, it's three day, three more sleeps till college football. Let's go. Let's do yeah. this. It's the best time of the year. It is here. We games start this weekend. Um, most teams, there'll be lots of games this weekend, and obviously full blown Labor Day weekend. Let's get it right into it. Jeff Scott, year three, three and eighteen overall is his coaching record since coming from Clemson. Several coaching staff changes this year on the staff: new OC, new DC, couple new position coaches. What do you see out of the coaching staff that gives you excitement leading into 2022? Not much. Um, <laughs> so, and Mr. I, optimism here right <laughs> out the gate. So, to be fair, I think it is fair to say that most USF um, people, analysts, are a little more excited about this team than I am. I am certainly excited about the quarterback. I think Gary Bohannon, who I loved at Baylor, who I thought was a tough, tough kid, 
who played really well just and played through pain and did the you know the best yep. he could with that team. Um, I'm really excited about what he can bring to the team. Um, and I think they have some skill position guys that can make some plays. So it, they got Florida athletes in space, which is always what you want if you're trying to to build a dynamic offense. Um, where I'm a little hesitant on this team is still in the offensive line. They're veteran. They're extremely veteran, but they're maybe not. I mean, do you want old guys that are not necessarily great? You know what I mean? This is, right. this is an O-line that has truly struggled a lot. Um, and yeah, you get another year older, you're stronger. But I'm not sure about the the ability of this line to protect or to be able to carve up space, you know, to get to that, to reach to that second level and and, and create some holes in the run game. Uh, defensively, I think they'll be a little bit better. Uh, they can't really be worse than they were um, last year, you know, firing a, a coordinator um, with one game to go, firing a, firing a defense coordinator with one game to go is certainly a move. Um, but I think it was a necessary move. And I think it showed in the Central Florida game at the end of last year that the defense did play much better in that game. And so I'm a, I'm a little bit more excited there. I think they can do some things, but I, I have some talent questions in the back of seven. I'm not sure that they can cover. Um, I have questions about their ability in space um, to handle other athletes in space. So I think they're going to score more. Um, I think um, bringing in Trickett was a good decision um, as a, as a coordinator, but I'm still, again, I just have some worries on this team and I'm not nearly as optimistic, I think, as most USF fans. Uh, win totals are running, you know, most people are, I think, projecting about four to five wins for this team. I I would lean like three and a half to four and a half somewhere in there. I'm a little more skeptical. Before we get on the field, let's talk about a couple of administrative operational things. Br building a brand new indoor facility, which is almost done. Just the commitment and, and give, give USF credit the last couple of years, they've made you know, some big financial commitments with bringing in Jeff Scott, you know, the, the, what they're paying them. They are also with the indoor facility, some improvements. I, I've been over there numerous times the last couple of years for practices and such. They've done a good job. They're, they're, they're pushing some money in. They're trying to be a big time program. Just your thoughts about the, the commitment they're making as far as financially to the, to the football program. Yeah, it's it's been needed for a while. Um, look, this is you know I worked for the program from 02 to 07, and we were talking about an indoor practice facility back then. And yep. so for this team to finally get around and getting it done, I think it's a huge credit to to Michael Kelly, the the athletic director, who's done a tremendous job not only raising money. The school raised twenty two million dollars last year, which was a record. Um, but they've also committed at the board level. You're seeing a board of trustees that is invested in athletics in a way that they really have never done so before. Um, when the school reached the Big East in 2005, um, and I think that announcement was made in 2003, 2003, 2004, mm -hmm. it was sort of like, okay, we're done. We're done. We've, we have reached the pinnacle. This thing will run itself for the rest of its life. We don't have to invest. We don't have to put any time in. We don't have to do anything. Mm -hmm. um, we now have everything that you would ever want. We're the, going to be the next you know, top 20 program in America. Try and stop us. And where the administration you know, tragically failed. I mean, they, this, this should be one of the best programs. This should be a program that's, you know, that should be deciding between which conference it wants to go to, right. not which conference will accept it. Right. Um, and, and that would have been an ACC, SEC type of program if they had continued to invest. They completely, maximally, and unrelentingly failed. Um, they failed the program. They failed the stakeholders. They failed the students. They failed everyone. Well, those people are gone now. And I think USF is going to try and fix those mistakes um, however, fixing those mistakes is a lot more expensive than it would have been if you had just not made them in the first place. So this is a this is sort of like 
tearing out the house with the bad foundation. You have to like take the house off first, then redo the foundation and then rebuild. Right. Um, Where if you had just not had a messed up foundation in the first place, you'd have been fine. Um, And I think that's sort of where USF is. Um, I, I'm excited about the future. I don't know if this team this year is going to be as good as everyone says it is. I have skepticism, but next year's schedule is a lot easier. I got tough schedule this year. Yeah, you're out of conference games. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Florida, Louisville, and BYU. And I've got BYU as a somebody who follows college football nationally for my job. Uh, I've got BYU as one of the best teams in the country this year. I have BYU as a team that can potentially, if they're playing Utah this year, I would I would have a bet on BYU to make the college football playoff. They just don't play Utah this year, and I'm not quite. The, if they beat Baylor, they could possibly get there. But BYU is loaded. They are absolutely loaded this year. It's going to be the best BYU team since Jim McMahon. And wow. yeah, so they're really good. Florida, it, you know, Billy Napier's not going to, I don't think, have that team fall off enough where they're losing to South Florida at home. Right. Um, and Louisville has one of the most dynamic players in the country, Millie Cunningham. Yep. So um, yeah, I, I think that out of conference schedule makes it up. If this team, the 22 team, was playing the 23 schedule, and the, and the 23 team was playing the 22 schedule, I think that would line up a lot better for USF, but it, it is what it is. All right, let's go to the offense. A uh, couple stats leading into the offense, and we'll go through kind of the position groups a little bit. 26 fumbles in 2021. I know they didn't lose all 26, but when you fumble 26 times, that's either – You should a, lose 13. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's, it's either a coaching issue, undisciplined, or a combination of the, of the two. Only six passing touchdowns last year. The opponents had 26 touchdowns passing. So a huge disparity throwing the ball um, last year. So, again, your, your comment about Gary Bohan is he's experienced. We're, we're going to talk about him in just a second. But the, the disparity there is is, is alarming and, and is jarring. Hard to win games when you can only throw six touchdown passes in a given season in this era of football. All right, so let's get to the quarterback. Gary Bohannon comes in from Baylor. He unseats Timmy McClain, the freshman. The freshman kind of runner, you know, versatile quarterback. I was at practice two the, the 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 Monday after the Saturday scrimmage where they announced the starter. And my first question, I didn't know this. My question was, "Hey, where's the lefty from last year, Timmy?" And I got about th- <laughs> I got about three guys who'd answer the question, like some administrative guys, just shook their head. He goes, "He's just not at practice today. You figure it out." He obviously transferred. He ended up at UCF a couple days ago. So Timmy McLean who they had high hopes for last year. He, you know, they, they really thought he was going to be a big recruit, kind of a Michael Vick kind of guy, run around left-handed, strong arm. He's one and done basically at USF. They bring in Gary Bohannon, who's won the job, which I think is a good thing. They need a professional quarterback. This guy's a, been around the block. He's be, He's won big games at Baylor. He's been in big moments. He hasn't always performed great, but he's been in the moment. He understands what it takes to, to run an offense. So I like that. Yeah. Um, talk to you, you. You seem to like Bohannon a lot. So give me some couple thoughts on Bohannon and that QB situation. So the thing with Bohannon is I think he played the entire year just hurt, super hurt. I think he was injured from basically week one. I watched a lot of Baylor last year. Um, I thought he he performed really, really as about as well as he could considering his health. Now, can he maintain that health in a full season at South Florida? I don't know. I think his athleticism um, and his size will give him a little level, a level of dynamic that you don't necessarily see at the G5 level. So I think he'll have an easier time of it against the opponents, except for those first three games where I think he's going to have, <laughs> he's going to get the worst fit. I hope he stays healthy through those games. Um, for, for McLean, I think that was a really interesting situation in that 
I think there's a pretty decent ceiling on McLean. He's a, right. you know, he he's not Quentin Flowers in right. terms of like the ability to avoid players and the ability to make people miss and and things. But I think he had some talent. I think he's got a pretty good ceiling. I think he could be a player. Um, I there were some decision making things that were certainly questionable. But then when you're 18 years old right. and you're starting the college football games in front of 80,000 people. Um, yeah, you're going to probably make some bad decisions, you know, right. especially when you come in, uh, you know, fresh out of high school. So um, I, I like McLean, I think a little bit more than most. I thought the coaching staff doing this sort of like pivot 180 on him. Now, when you bring in Bohannon, yes, he's going to start. That's fine. Like I, you, you need to play that guy. He's got tremendous experience. He's played what? 25 27 games right. in college already right. he's played for a big 12 champion you're not bringing that guy in to sit the bench i get it but then like what's with this myth of this like open competition for the job right like you know you know what you have in mclean you know what you're getting in bohan and these guys both have you know plenty mm -hmm. of experience there Th there was no competition and i think part of the that you know yin yang back and forth remember bohannon came in before mclean could put himself in the portal Right. Because the portal window had closed, but Bohannon put himself in very late in the portal process, came to USF, and by the time he got here, uh, McLean was unable to transfer and not lose a year. So um, I think there was some bad blood there. It certainly seems like it. McLean's father was, you know, um, certainly vocal on social media about how the process played out. Right. Um, so I will, you know, I, I, I like McLean a little bit more than most. I think he went to the wrong school. Um, he's not. I don't know how he gets on the field there anytime soon at, at Central Florida. Um, right. And I think he'll probably end up transferring out again at some point, um, you know, with that depth chart that they have over there. I think they just called Mikey Keene the starter over there already. Um, and Mikey Keene's a young kid, so they got some time with him. So, um, yeah, we'll see. All right, 10 starters back on offense. So they're excited. At least they got some veteran guys that played a lot of snaps. <clears throat> Wide receiver Xavier Weaver. 41 catches for a 17.4 per catch, which is really good. I've seen him numerous times in person. He's a he's a dynamic guy, can, can stretch the field. He's the kind of guy that's just got to be consistent. If he'll make the catches he's supposed to make, you know, don't drop the ball, those kind of things. You got Aju Aju, the, the, the Clemson transfer. They've got some good-looking receivers as far as physically gifted guys. They, they got a couple muscular, taller guys. They got a couple thinner guys. So they got some variety in the receiving core. What do you what do you see between the receivers and the running backs? So I think there's some talent here. There's a, definitely some skilled guys who can make some plays. Uh, Jimmy Horn Jr. coming back uh, uh, yep. off an injury. Um, he's a guy who with really you know dynamic speed. Um, I had lunch with Chris Carter at the at the banquet uh, last Wednesday, and uh, there's another kid. You know, he's he's a grad grad student. He's already got his degree. Can focus more on football now because you know you're. I think in grad school you're only taking about like three credits. You're taking like yeah. one class a night. You can right. really like lean into your football, and he he can also come back next year too. He can be a part of it. So even though he's already graduated, he's got a fifth year and a sixth year thanks to the um. You know, I think that's how USF is going to have to get better here. Now this offensive line that we're looking at, there's a lot of kids that are in grad school. You know, this offensive line you know has more degrees than a Florida summer. Um, <laughs> they uh. <laughs> They got a lot of players. They just got to play better. Be, just, just be honest. They got to play better. They just got to play better. I, I have some faith in Cecil at center. I think he's been a pretty strong player for most of his career. Yep. Um, There have certainly been moments with Donovan Jennings where you go, wow, that kid can really play at a high level. Yep. But, you know, we got questions, you know, Demetrius Harris, Dustin Hall. And, and Demetrius Harris has also played well at, at very long stretches as well and has, has had some wins. But on the right side, uh, Dustin Hall, Demetrius Jacobs, you know, can these guys, you know, 
can they protect? Yep. Can they protect? You know, and especially last year with a lefty quarterback having the right side of the line be a little falling apart and great. Um, that does change this right. year right. as you go back to Ohio, and so we can see the guys running at his head right. <laughs> as opposed to the other way when his back is turned. Um, but yeah, I think there's some talent in the skill positions. I just need to see this offensive line protect and clear some holes that I have not seen before. Are you are you are you satisfied with the scheme they run with the, with the philosophy and offense? You know, it, with a with a new with a new coordinator in, in Travis Trickett, I just need to see it. You know, he he uh, by track record, some of his offenses have performed okay. Right. There's nothing been like a world beater, but like if he was a world beater, offensive genius, you know, Sean McVay type, he wouldn't be at South Florida. Right. So like you you sort of get who you can get. Um, I think considering that seems fine. Bob Shoup, I think, is the really, really interesting. You know, Bob was basically like yep. erased from a Michigan football team in the middle of a season, which <laughs> doesn't happen very. It was like week nine. They were just like, yeah, he's not going to be around for a while. And nobody really ever got a reason why. And so right. um, so I have some questions defensively uh, more than I think. But again, the upgrade defensively, I, look, I don't like to bash you know, previous coordinators and, and people that have come through the program. But, oh, my God, they were so bad last year. Gee, the third third and a like third and 36 and they would rush three and drop eight every single time the scheme you you did not need to be a football genius to see what was happening on on especially on on money downs um and they did not put their players in positions to win and it was very extremely vanilla i would like to see some more uh more blitzing more more show and go, more different things, more scraping. Like I, I, I need to see more of that out of this team. And I, I hope Shoop is able to bring that. Um, he certainly is a veteran in this industry, um, but I need to be able to see it. And I want to see a couple of games. And the, and the thing is practice is mostly closed. Like we're not seeing anything in practice. So we, you know, we, we hear what these players and coaches are telling us, but they told us the same things last year. And they told us how great Timmy McLean was and how they're excited to build around. So like, you know, like, what are you going to trust anything that's coming out of a coach or a player's mouth at this time of year? Come on, get out of here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Nine starters back on defense. I mean, they've got, again, lots of guys that have played a lot of snaps. The question there is, are they good enough? Are the guys that yeah. they were playing, are they good enough? You know, last year, they some sometimes last year, I know they had to play out of pure necessity. COVID losses, injuries, they were yeah. really depleted numbers-wise towards the end of last year. Um, defending the run was bad. That was the area where they really struggled was defending the run. You know, um, they brought in five new transfers. They seem to have a good linebacking core with Greer and Boyles. Those team, those two yeah. guys seem to be the kind of the cornerstone and the quarterbacks of the defense. Just your thoughts of, you know, again, you sounds like you you want to see him be more aggressive. I know Shoop is a pretty animated guy. He's very excitable. That again, I've been to a couple practices and he he gets on them. He he's he's pretty active. Again, whether the scheme is good enough, we'll see. But again, opponents rushing average five point nine per carry last year, just unacceptable. And you'll get. They'll just teams will just run the ball down your throat. So um, sounds like you're again, a little leery about the defense as far as the, the development of the defense and can they hold up enough over the course of, again, you got a brutal schedule to start. Can they hold up enough, especially in the AAC? Yeah. I expect them to win these out of conference games, but the AAC games are the games you got to be competitive in and be able to compete. Yeah. And it's a tough AAC schedule too. They, they definitely took the worst of it there as well. There's some teams in the league that they won't play that, that they would probably like to. Um, so like, I, here's the things I'm hearing out of practice. I'm hearing like Matt Hill looks really good at the star position, which is sort of like the nickel and I'm going, okay, but I watched that kid last year and he look and, and in all fairness to Matt Hill, he was brought in as a wide receiver right. and he got flipped to the other side of the ball and he's learning on the fly. 
but there was there were times last year where I'm going, oh my god, like the, what is where where is he? What is he doing? You know, right. like just right. no sense of like concept space. You can see some athleticism, but you like just not prepared you know not prepared and that's not the kid's fault i mean that's you know when you're brought right. in you they flip you and they ask you to do this and you do the best you can now i'm hearing he's like playing great at the star position i gotta be a little skeptical about that you know what i mean because i haven't seen anything out of this team to say that they're developing but if i see matt hill locking people up in the slot as a nickel then i'm going to be pretty excited about this team this year if, I, if he has improved his technique and his talent um, and and they've built a scheme that, that fits his style better. That's going to be really good. Um, they need to be able to get after the passer as well. And say. that's, you know, I, I, there are times when you see it, you'll see like a guy, like a Clyde Pinder come in on a, on a long down um, and be able to get after somebody. Um, but you have to be able to attack the quarterback in this league. You know, obviously run defense is huge. You know, that was a real weakness for them last year too, but being able to get to the passer to keep people off balance and keep yeah. them in long downs, you know, you don't get off the field um, on, on third and threes in this league, you get off the field because on third thirteens, you know, right. and you have to be able to get people behind the chains. And so um, I, I got questions there. Um, I'm not sure, but again, with a whole new scheme, you know, I need to be able to see what they're going to try and do. I truthfully haven't looked at, at Bob Shub's defenses. I can just look at the numbers. Sure. And they are what somewhat they are. vanilla. They are what they are, you know? Um, so I, but I haven't taken a, a deep look at his scheme yet. Um, I hope to actually do that next week um, and sort of dig in and what I should be looking for. But again, you know, they got to get better. They just have to be better. And I'm not sure the talent is there. It, on the recruiting papers. Yes, I see it. You know, I see where they, they, they've added on talent. A lot of transfers, I see where they, yep. on transfers, you know, they crush the portal. Whatever you want to say about this coaching staff, and I certainly, I think I'm more skeptical than most, um, they crushed the portal, which was job number one. Absolutely, you have to do this. Upgrade they brought in the a, talent. A, yeah, you have to upgrade the talent, and you brought in an elite quarterback. And and I think you brought in about as good a guy as you're going to see in this league. So, yeah, win to check those boxes. But now i got to see it on the field, and I'm, I'm not sure it's all there. Let's go back to the coaching staff and Jeff Scott a little bit. Um the, he's, he is a, he and the staff have got to perform better in, in close games, one score game type of situations, game management, timeouts, things like that, two minute drills, things like that. How do you, what do you what do you see out of Jeff Scott coaching wise as a head coach that needs to get better or that he's doing a good job of? So I, as the leading critic of Jeff Scott's game management on Twitter, um, I <laughs> look, <laughs> I I've I've shaken Jeff Scott's hand once and I've introduced my and said nice to meet you and i don't know him people that i know that work with him daily say he's a really nice gentleman and a really good guy and like he he's he's engaging he's you know family man really does the right yep. thing. and i'm i am 100 rooting for him like this i don't this is never this is not personal right this is just but i watch for my job and to make money college football games all the way across the country uh jeff scott is one of the worst game managers i have seen at the at the fbs level some of the decision-making that I saw last year was blow your, what in God's name are you doing? And that, you know, you, the thing I always say about this with game management is coaches ask players, be disciplined, do, you know, know who you are, know your role, know what you're doing. And then when they get put in that tight situation, like a, a la Mike Norvell, who is another guy who is just yep. in, in game management is just right. a, a walking crisis. Um, then they get out of their discipline and they don't stay focused and committed to what needs to be done. And they don't, you know, line up. It trickles um, down through was, the whole roster. 
trickles down. For sure. There were some third and fourth down decisions last year, some punt decisions um, that were just inexcusable, some clock management that was just never acceptable. Um, I say, I think he, there were two games last year, I believe it was Tulane. And let me look, there were two. I, and the, you can also argue the central Florida game as well, because there was a fourth down decision there at midfield. That was just, I, I mean, get out of here, get out of here with all of it. Um, but <laughs> there were, so yeah, the, the game management 100% improves, you know, the, the old joke about hire the best Madden player in your city and put them in the press box and have them tell you what to do on in clock, in clock, clock and score situations. Yeah. I don't know of a team in America that needs that guy more than, well, there's two. There's Florida State and there's South Florida because those are two <laughs> of the worst games. Those are two of the worst games. And I've watched Mike Norvell screw this thing up since he was at Memphis. Lately. Well, the, the beauty yeah. is we'll, on the Florida Football Insiders, we'll be able to talk about it every week. About game <laughs> we'll have good plenty. And, bad, and you'll be we our have, game management analyst. <laughs> we will have plenty to discuss with the two teams in Florida. Um, the, and, and ironically, one of the best is Billy Napier. So a guy who was always going to make the right decision is in Gainesville now. Um, but for for me, watching Mike Norvell at Memphis was like, is he shaving? Is he point shaving in a conference championship game? Like, <laughs> what is he doing? Um, so, yeah, but between these two guys, they have they just simply have to improve. And coaches that do, you know, you don't see a lot of coaches. You, you sort of, your, your stripes are your stripes. I've seen coaches make wholesale massive changes and have it succeed. I saw Willie Taggart bring in a West Coast Stanford-style offense and then just throw all that out the window, build something Baylor-esque hybrid, some sort of Baylor hybrid system around Quentin Flowers, and and turn down turn around a program. Sure. So it does happen, but for the most part, it really doesn't. And so when I have to be skeptical, this is why I've got to see it on the field. You know, I hope I'm wrong. I really want to be wrong, but I, I don't know if Jeff Scott's going to be able to figure out when on fourth and two, he should be punting and when he should be going for it. And he should mostly be going for it. Um, <laughs> you know, um, and, and, and just the way that the, and the play calling, you know, in clock situations, you know, if you need to save time, don't, don't run draws, you right, know, things right. like that. Um, you, so. What kind of, do you think he, obviously I think he's under a little bit of pressure, a little bit of hot seat. Do, yeah. If he doesn't win bit. more than, I mean, if he goes another two and 10, he'll, he'll be in trouble. I think yeah. he needs to sure. show progress. I think, I think you don't have to win seven or eight, but you better win four to five and be competitive yeah. in the ones you lose. That's yeah. I think you, yeah, I think the number is four. Um, I think if if it's a decent four, you know, if you're a four and you've shown a little bit of progress and you've shown a little bit of direction, I think that's fine. Look, tearing it up and throwing it and starting all over again is not what South Florida needs right now. They right. need stability in this program. Right. They've built the indoor practice facility. That will be up mid-season. You know, they're going to be practicing indoors for the first time in the lightning capital of the world in 26 years. Yeah. How the hell did that happen, by the way? <laughs> How in God's name does a program in the lightning capital of the world not have an indoor facility for the first 26 years of the program. That's just right. insanity. Right. Um, and now, the, and with the stadium momentum, they're going to look, here's the thing. This, the expectations are not being set by what is happening now. The expectations are when they move into that stadium, which is projected to be the 2026 at latest 2027 season. And, and by the way, they're going to do this, like this, this board, it is not at a AD level. It is not at a donor level. It is at a board of trustees level. Yeah. They are 100% committed to building the stadium. They want that team to be good then. 
and everything is steps to get to that process where when they move into that facility that they're selling tickets and yeah. that being at a South Florida football game is one of the things to do in Tampa Bay every single that people are building their weekends, building their their vacation schedules, building things around being right. at those games. And that's what they're committed to. So yeah, they need to show progress because the long tail is we need you to be at the top of the conference. We need you to be beating top 25 opponents 20 when you're moving in in 2026. Just remember, you got Alabama coming to town down Ooh. the road. Oh, you got you got some big teams. <laughs> Point is you got some big teams that are coming that yeah, are coming for here. Sure. And, and right. which will be a draw, which will be an like you said, an event kind of situation. So uh, again, we talked about the schedule. Rough first six weeks. You got BYU at Florida, at Louisville, at Cincinnati. You know, if you can somehow win one of those games, I know it's going to be very difficult, but if there's a way to figure out a way to win one of those games, great. But you got to beat the teams you're supposed to beat, the Tulane, yeah. the East Carolinas. That's how you're going to wrap, you know, get to four or five wins is you got to win some of these. And ECU's going to. And ECU is going to be feisty again this year. That that is not a team with a ton of talent. They got decent quarterback handlers, and they can yep. they play pretty decent, smart football. So like they can get through. You know, I Tulane is the one that I always say they got to beat. Like right. that is a team you should not be losing to because as as much talent as there is in Louisiana, you can just look at the numbers and see that Tulane is not a team. That's the yep. bubble team right there. That's the team you need. You always need to be beating Tulane, and you always need to be beating Temple. There's just not enough good players in those markets. Right. Like no, you're right. So. And they yeah. got you got UCF at the end of the schedule at home. So again, they played very well last year against UCF. Again, a winnable game. That's a game that if you're yeah. if you if I if, think if that's a winnable game this year. Yeah, I think it's in USF fans' heads because of the the last what five years, five, yeah. five in a row they've lost. Um five, six. I don't even know. It's it's a lot. But um, you know, for a team that won the first four between two thousand five and two thousand eight and then hasn't won one since, or has won since, but you know, has now the, the tables have completely turned on that from where it was 15, 20 years ago. I think that's right. in both fans' heads. I think I, I am down on Central Florida this year. I am short on them. I think um, they – look, year two for a coach that's bringing in a complete new system and gets miles on, that doesn't tend to go well because you're, you're year one, you're sort of using last year's players and trying to keep as much of last year's system when you right. when the previous coach was successful as as Josh Heupel, you know, however you want to – I thought he did pretty well there. I, I would have fought to keep him. They – totally disagreed but and and he got the tennessee job so you gotta let him go um but year two tends to be where these guys tend to struggle um you know i thought that we saw that with south florida last year i thought you know we've seen that before with you know willie taggart's first year he was four and eight his second year is you know two and ten you know he was it seemed like things were going the wrong way i think that tends to happen because your your long-term philosophy interferes with the talent that you have on the field um and that's when it starts to hit is about year two so i'm short of south florida central florida this year i think that's a game that usf could very possibly get especially if they play at a standard that I'm not sure that everybody else thinks they're going to get to that I'm a little skeptical of. Uh, but if they get to that standard, I think they can definitely beat the Nuts for sure. All right, last thing we'll get you out of here. Let's do some win totals for the for, for, the, for USF. We'll do Miami, Florida State, and Florida. Uh, you, this is what you do for a living. DraftKings Nation, Colin Sherwin, college sports editor. Um, you know, lots of gambling going on all, all around the country and all that stuff. So let's hit. You said South Florida was four and a half. Or are they three and a half? Uh, I'm seeing four and a half. Um, you think I am sounds like you like under, yeah. On four and a half, I would, you know what? I'm not going to bet it myself because, uh, yeah, that would be no fun. Um, but yeah, I'm going (laughs) to lean under on that. Um, yeah, I would, I'm going to stay away. Yeah, four and a half seems about right. Yeah. No, so I, 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 I don't think it's a good bet either way. So I'm going to stay away. I had over last year, and I think Jeff Scott's game management cost me a very large bet on. I think it was, I needed three. What did I need last year? I needed three and i got two yeah oh, i was 
Yeah, his, his game about, management. Let's, costs let's a lot. talk Miami. What's Miami's over under? So Miami, give me one second here. I'm sorry, I'm trying to do this on the fly. Uh, a lot of expectation with Mario Cristobal. A lot of hype. They have, you know, a pretty easy yeah, schedule. I, very easy schedule. So yeah, they're at eight and a half. Um, over is minus one thirty five. Though, so you got to lay some vig um, if you want the over. I like Tyler Van Dyke a lot. I, I like this team a lot. There's talent all over the place here. Um, the thing is, you know, speaking of game management, I don't think it's as bad as it is in Tallahassee or, or Tampa. But you, there were some Oregon fans that have certainly Mario, questioned some yes. of the things that Mario yes. has done in game, um, and that what goes back to his FIU days as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I would think that Mario is probably. Um, He's probably worth a half game going the wrong way, but I really like that Miami team a lot. And he's done a fantastic job of getting buy-in from that market, from that yes. state of Miami that Howard, yes. Howard Schnellenberg always talked about. This is, you know, that is a program that's moving in the right direction. I think Miami is going to be a national power again sometime in the next 10 years. Yeah, I, sure. I like Miami over eight and a half because, I mean, other than Clemson yeah. and A&M, they're, every other game they're going to be favored. For sure, even if, you lose those, even if you lose those two, you can still lose one more and still win the bet. So I like, I like over eight and a half in Miami. What about I, I don't hate, I don't hate them against Clemson either. Let me tell right. you, Clemson. Right. Oh, I mean, yeah, they're, I mean I, 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 show me a Clemson defense without Brent Venables, and I'll tell you what I. You That's know, right. Just saying. That's a good point. Great point. Florida yeah. new coach Billy Napier. What do you, what do you see? What, what's the number there? Uh, I have for the Florida Gators, uh, uh, I don't, I think it's six, six and a half. Um, it's seven. It is up to seven. So so it is, it is seven and you got to lay 125 on the over, which means the under is 105, but seven on the dot. That schedule is tough. That's a schedule. Yes. Kentucky's really good this year. Yes. Um, George is going to pants them again. Uh, you got out. a chance if you can upset Utah. I know that's a big ask in week one, but if you can beat Utah, I don't think you're going to beat Utah, but but Utah is loaded. They are loaded. Utah <laughs> is very good, no doubt. Utah, I think Utah is um, – the, the, the Pac-12 championship game is on October 15th. It, it's that Utah-USC game yes, in Utah. Absolutely. At, is going to be the Pac-12 championship game. I can't wait for that game. I am very excited to see Caleb Williams go against Cam Rising and Lincoln Riley. Welcome to the Pac-12. This is where it matters. Um, I That's going to be fantastic football. I don't see Florida um, getting to eight. I could see them being at six. So if I had to make a play, I would either stay away under. or play under. I don't think they're getting eight. They'll get Vandy. Um, they might get Florida State, actually. But um, yeah. yeah, LSU. That's, iffy. That's iffy. That's, that's tough. Very iffy. Um, Eastern, Eastern Washington, South Florida. Um, but yeah, I, it's very possible they start one and three right losing to kentucky and, and then tennessee um and utah so yeah they could very well start one and three all right florida state we'll wrap it up with florida state win total yeah the the knolls um are uh why is that not coming up here it is you know that you think they'd put this in alphabetical order for me they didn't um six and a half um so over is minus 135, which means the under is plus 115 on the other side. I am, look, I'm skeptical about Mike Norvell until I'm not. Yeah. Um, I've seen the talent on this team. I think there is definitely talent there. Um, you know, is Jordan Travis a guy that you can really, like, win with? Right. Are you sure about this? Right. Like, I'm with you. I, I don't know. Um, stay away from me, for sure, on the number. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, So, Duquesne is a win. Um, 
BC is going to be feisty this year. Wake Wake losing Sam Hartman, I think, probably Correct. pushes that a little bit in Florida State's favor. That's going Correct. to be a that's a huge loss for Wake. Uh, NC State's going to pants them. NC State is loaded yes, this year. Loaded. This is going to be yep. the best NC yep. State team in a long time. Um, they'll beat Georgia Tech because Georgia Tech might be one of yeah. the five worst teams in the FBS. Um, they don't get Duke, unfortunately. Bad luck for them because Duke I have is the worst Power Five team. I have them way worse than Bandy. Actually, yeah. they're going to be horrible. Um, I got a little power ranking thing that I do, and I yeah. just chart everything, and you know that's what I got. And then um, uh, the Raging Cajuns. That's interesting. Um, there's some talent down there in Lafayette this year. I'm, I, I don't know if anybody could blow a game late this season like that on Chicken Bleep Saturday. It's probably Mike Norvell. So yeah, I would, I would, I would lean short here or stay away. For sure. I got you. Well, great work, Colin, man. Awesome job with the numbers, obviously, with your USF analysis. We will definitely have you back on uh, throughout the year, giving some updates on USF and some other stuff in the state of Florida. Tell everybody where they can find John Line one more time. I'm at Colin Sherwin on Twitter, C-O-L-L-I-N. Um, and most of our stuff is all at DraftKingsNation.com. So uh, DKNation.DraftKings.com. If you actually go on the DraftKings app or the website, you can see all the college content that comes through uh, our team, which is um, I think doing a great job. If you're an NFL person, we just launched a uh, NFL product for fantasy football. It is a complete fantasy football guide. If you're in a best ball league, if you're in a, you know, a, any kind of league, I don't play a lot of fantasy. I'm a sports, I'm a, I'm the college guy. Literally everyone else on our team, we have a staff of like 15, 20 people. Everyone else contributed something to the NFL fantasy football guide, except me. I have every byline is there except mine. And that's because you really don't want me betting. Like, you don't want my advice on the NFL. Um, but yeah, they, they've done a fantastic job and I'm really proud of our team for it. It's a really great product. So check that out if you're doing your NFL fantasy drafts coming up as well. And then anything with college, we'll be getting the numbers out as quickly as we can and doing some analysis uh, as we get into the season. Um, wrote some pieces, love Kansas over two and a half games. I think Kansas wins like four this year. Kansas is, Kansas is loaded this year. Um, and stay with stuff like that. We'll have that out all season long. Awesome work, Colin. Have a great week and we'll talk real soon. Okay. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening on the Florida football insiders podcast. We'll be right back here next week and every week through the college football season to preview and review all the week's actions, news and notes from around the state of Florida. So again, reach out, Florida Football Insiders. Subscribe, rate, and review, and reach out to us on Twitter, at JPO Sports. Have a great week.